Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. Today's episode is brought to you by nobody. Because let's be honest, nobody likes to hear ads. We all just put up with it because we think we have to. Well, you know what? I decided let's not do that for the time being and see how we get along. So let's get into what we all came here for, the actual episode. All right, folks, today we have back with us one of our favorite guests, certainly one of my favorite guests, Mr. Dane Lee. Uh, Dane wanted to come back on the show. We didn't really have too much to talk about uh, before we got on the show, which is normally the case. He's like, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. We'll figure it out then. And we had, obviously, <laughs> knowing the show, we had no shortage of things to talk about. Now, uh, Right now, Dane is getting his PhD at Akron University, and that's been kind of taking over his life a little bit, but kind of kicking his ass a little bit. And uh, we definitely had a good conversation about that. And then I personally wanted to talk about competing. I've been missing doing any kind of competitions and staying competitive and having that drive and having those raw emotions of being a competitor. And I've, I've been missing a lot of that. So we definitely wanted to talk. Oh, I wanted to talk about that. And I think Dane was a great person to have that conversation with. I think there'll be more of that kind of talk to come because I'm trying to find out where I can kind of fit into that world and hopefully find something that I can compete in without it taking up my entire life like weightlifting used to do, where I can still do a bunch of other things but still have something to look forward to. But I have a trouble with when I get into things, I tend to go whole hog and don't just do things for fun. I tend to try to do them to the best of my ability, and usually that's the detriment of other things. And that's not where I want to be at this point in my life. But nonetheless, so we'll have to talk about that some other time, probably most likely. But still, it was a good conversation nonetheless. But I'm going to stop rambling and let you guys get into the episode. So please, sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we have back with us one of our favorite guests, Mr. Dane Lee of Elite Recovery Sports Massage. Oh, I'm one of the favorite guests? Of wow. course. Makes me feel special. I mean, like, when I first started the podcast, I thought, I'm going to talk to all these different people and do this and that and blah, 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 and it's going to be awesome. And as I've gotten like more and more into it over the years, it's just like... I want to have my friends back on and I want to mm -hmm. bullshit and talk about stuff. And I always get great comments about our episodes. So like people love to hear you talk and I love our conversations. I, I think it's mutual from the conversations that we've had outside yeah. of the podcast as well. So I always look forward to these and hopefully the listeners do too. So yes, you are one of our favorite guests. So welcome back, sir. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> uh, so what's going on in your world and all that kind of good stuff? How are you doing right now? Doing pretty good. Um, I know we were chatting ahead of time. Like there's uh, business stuff that is going on right now with work. Um, and honestly, like that's only able to happen because the semester finally ended and all that chaos is done Because you're back in school for what now? Uh, PhD. Okay, so you're going for your PhD. Yeah. Then they're smart shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, prior to starting, I would have said yes. And after having gone through it, like, I don't know. I don't really feel all that smart. 
Uh, um, I, I don't know, because like some of the conversations that we've had in the last few months, I know it's been very overwhelming for you. Oh, unbelievable. I, I remember yeah. one time I saw you, and you look like walking death. And I was like, bro, like, are you okay? <laughs> that was – this past semester, honestly, was one – and as someone who has essentially been a professional student like, for a majority of my life – well, yeah, yes and no, because you've been going to school, but you've also been working at that same yeah. time. So it's not like you've only been in school because you're no. running your own business. You're doing the gymnastics stuff. Like there's so many things outside of school that you're doing as well. You're not just focused on school. So I wouldn't call you a professional student. I mean, I'd certainly call you a perpetual student, always wanting okay. to learn and move like forward. Yeah. But I definitely wouldn't call you a professional student because like you're running your business, you're hustling, you're doing all the other things that – most people don't do even when they get out of school. I mean, I'm sorry to say that. A lot of people who are in academia, like into the master's, PhD, and like all that kind of good stuff, most of them go back into academia and then they don't mm. ever really have real world experience. I like that word, writer. Perpetual. Yes, yes. I'm definitely a perpetual yes. student. I think that describes you very well. And this past semester has honestly been one of – no, it has been the hardest – semester i've ever had yeah because i know that when it first started you oh, were God. incredibly overwhelmed because it was all new to you mm-hmm. your um was, is it your professor or wh- who would it be like who's the person that you kind of are working with oh my advisor your advisor there yeah. we go that's the word i'm looking for so i, I know that they were kind of new in the position as well so you guys were kind of learning together and yeah. kind of working through all that kind of stuff and i know it was very overwhelming and dare i say like you look, look much better now and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's no, just no. you were so overwhelmed and run down, just working so hard. Yeah. You know, it's like you look like walking death a few <laughs> months ago. And it's so good to see you now where you've gotten through it. It's been tough, but you've worked your way through it and you've gotten yeah. better and better and better as that semester went on. So that's great. I still feel like I'm recovering a little bit from it, but. And that's okay because feel- this is meant to be a very difficult yeah. time in your life. Like I keep telling my daughter that who's in college right now. I'm like, this is a time to hustle. Like you're not going to feel refreshed and great all the time. No. It's like. There's times you got to burn the midnight oil and and go ham. I mean, it's that's just yeah. the part of your life right now. That that's okay. Um, I remember I was so. I mean, I'll say like I was cocky the first semester, but like before it even started, I remember having a conversation with you where it's like I know how to work hard. I'm used to that. I'm I know how to do all of these hours. Uh, and you know they're telling me before I started like, well, you know, you're gonna have to dedicate you know, 60 hours a week to do it. And this is like, that's nothing. Yeah. From, from your normal workload right. like, between school and your business. Yeah. And when I sat down and did the math on paper on like how much I'd be able to overlap what I would need to do for school with what I would be able to do with work. Like a lot of the research that I'd be doing for school, I could just immediately translate into uh, a lot of the social media work that I do as far as the information that I put out and what it is that I look into myself in my own time. So that seemed like it wasn't actually 60 hours. You know, it might only be, let's say, 45 to 50. Yeah, because there, because obviously you've been already putting in that time anyway. Right. Because, again, you're always wanting to learn and push forward. And as we've talked about before here on the show, it's like you're trying to change how people see recovery. Right. Period. So you're trying to change a whole genre and industry. And there's a ton of research that has to go into that. I mean, there's a ton of research in general as going to PhD, but when you're creating a field... I don't know if it's as big as that statement is, but in my mind, like if you're creating a field, there's a ton of research that has to be done. And I went into it thinking, I got this. Like, I know it's going to be hard. The master's was hard, but I got through it. I'm very proud of myself for that. So I can do this. 
I was so wrong. <laughs> like I, I don't know that I've ever been more wrong in my life about a scenario walking into it. And even that first semester, like I didn't have to take any classes. I was just teaching because they had such low enrollment for the PhD program in general, just at, at Akron, that between that and the number of staff members that they had to lay off because of budgetary reasons from the year before, they barely had any classes available for the PhD crew. And they, we were told the first year is the only year that they say, like, here are the ones you have to take. And then after that, you get to pick what you need. And there's criteria with it. Those weren't available. Two of the students that are in the cohort weren't even able to get into the country because of visa issues. Yeah. So they didn't offer the things that we were supposed to take until the spring semester. So I'm just like, all right, I guess I'm teaching the entire semester instead of taking classes, which, I mean, I know I talked with you about it. It was fucking awesome. Like getting to teach in front of a group like that was amazing. But, um, <laughs> sorry, plain, <laughs> perseverating over here. Um, and then going into the spring semester, feeling like, oh, well, I survived the fall. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of what this is going to be like once classes start. Like I've taken classes before. The big unknown was teaching. And they were going to switch me over, or they did switch me over from teaching anatomy physiology in the fall to teaching uh, biology in the spring. I got nervous about that one. It's like, I don't know biology enough to feel like I deserve to be teaching a collegiate level. And every time that people said, you know, no, 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 you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Like, you know more than you think you do. I felt very dismissed. I was like, I'm not saying it. I'm not fishing for compliments. Yeah. I'm genuinely like, concerned. I'm telling you how I actually feel. Like, because it's actually true. It's not, right. not because I'm you know, I wanting you to like boost me up here. Like I remember being in those seats as the undergrad student needing the TA to know what the hell they were doing so that I felt like I was learning to you know for what I was paying for and what I was giving my time for. And I didn't feel, looking back on it, that if I was teaching myself, that I would have been able to do that. Which meant, like, I should not be there doing that. Or what, now that you're putting me in that position, because I can't not be in that position, what can I do to kind of prepare myself? Well, it turns out it was fine. Like, it really was with the way that they said it. It was fine. Well, that's good. Yeah. And I ended up loving that experience just as much as A&P, but for very different reasons, because it was a very different setup. What kicked my ass was when we got to classes, and it was the mental and emotional defeat of those classes not just the physical because when you saw me and you said that i looked like just the walking dead i have been exhausted before i many many times i have been to the state where just like i've got nothing left to give i'm done i need to take a break i don't always take a break but i've been there before <laughs> i have never had such a consistent reminding of how little I know and yet how much I am expected to have already figured out as I did this past semester. And it is a kick in the balls. Every single time that you show up and you ask a question and the teacher will answer it at a level that you don't understand. And you realize that it's two or three levels above what you're able to comprehend but they think that they're watering it down they think they're dumbing it down to where you are 
So they don't realize that they're not actually helping you. They're actually making it worse. And you're like, fuck. (laughs) I know enough to realize what the separation is, but I don't know enough to connect the dots to span. Well, yeah, it's that idea of compounding ignorance. Like, you don't know what you don't know, and then others don't know what you don't know either. So they're obviously trying to assume that you know some of the things that they know. Which is why they're trying to speak to you at your level, even though you're obviously far below that level. Like, oh shit. Like, normally it's like standing in front of a chasm and it goes so far out there that you can't see how big or how deep it is. And all you know is that it's vast. And now suddenly there's someone standing on the opposite side, yelling back to you saying, why can't you cross this? You now know how far apart you are. You just don't know how to get there. Yeah. So you still don't know what you don't know, but now you've got somebody saying, why don't you know it day after day? And by the way, like they're going to start walking yeah. on the other side. And you're in like, that direction. damn it. I got to just start building my bridge now. Shit. How do I build a bridge? <laughs> Where do I find things to build the bridge? So now I need to learn how to find things and then learn engineering so that I can build the bridge to yeah. get to the other so side. You assemble it and start moving oh forward. Oh my God. Like even just <laughs> thinking about it, like I started to get panicky. It was... It was an unbelievable undertaking, and I I automatically diminish it in my mind because I'm like, it shouldn't have been that hard had I been prepared, or other people have it harder, so I can't, I shouldn't talk about it as if it was this awful thing. No, uh, that's bullshit, because it was awful for you in the right. moment, and that's all that needs to be said. And I'm working on giving that validity, and just saying like, no, dude, like, you have multiple people in your life that without knowing exactly what was going on, said to you, are you okay? Because you look awful in one way or another. Yes. And it's like, you can't diminish that. Like that, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Like if it was as bad as someone else or don't compare it. You were in a terrible place. And to come out of that feels fucking amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that I would say that is the biggest update from this past like six months or so no but i think that's good because i think a lot of people can relate to that in some level in their life obviously not at the exact level that you're at but i think we've all been overwhelmed with stuff in the past that's, oh, that's certainly the case it definitely creates a really big uh or a new level of empathy because you know because uh, when i explained to people like comparing the masters to the phd was the masters felt like it took everything i had but I made it work. And part of that was, like you said, like I was running a business and I was working with the swim team at Akron at the same time. And I was able to juggle it. And I felt very accomplished when I was doing that. But I felt myself like at the level or at the edge of my ability to do that. But I never felt, or at least very few, and well, neurology, that's a different story. I had to take that class. That one kind of took me over the edge. Um, that was tough. But I never, aside from that, felt, like, I I didn't know if I could do it. I just knew it was really hard. And if I ended up giving it everything, I was good. Yeah. The PhD is the first time in my life that I have thought, I don't know if I can do this. And I'm not going to quit. Like, it just didn't cross my mind. It's like, you're either kicking me out because I fail at this, uh, or I'm doing it. One way or the other. Like, I'm, I'll get my ass kicked, and I'll show up tomorrow. But so many times in my life prior to this, if something got really, really difficult, 
not just hard, but hard enough that I thought, I don't think I can do this. I would find a way out. Like, I am definitely a quitter. And I hate saying that. I fucking hate saying that so badly. But that's the truth. I can think of multiple times where I quit because quitting was easier. That that becomes a difficult issue for, for a lot of people. And they don't yeah. realize it at the time. But they do later with perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's very easy to quit things in the moment. But then that creates a difficult problem because then that gives you an option to quit. Mm-hmm. So now quitting becomes easier and easier and easier the more that you do it. And it tends to be a perpetual kind of thing. I can remember yeah. uh, basketball my freshman year of high school. I hated it. I, I, like, I wasn't getting playing time and I felt like I was better than some of the people there. But they were you know, like doing all the summer league stuff when I was out, like practicing football and doing those kind of things. So they were doing all the other things that I wasn't doing. So they were getting more time because they were putting in more effort. And I can see that now, but at the time I was like, this is bullshit. Like I'm a better athlete. Like I should be on the floor. Why am I not playing? And I remember like halfway through the season, I was like, I, I just, I'd had enough. And I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. And I quit. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that and I'm ashamed of myself because it's like, I should have at least stuck out the season. Yeah. I should have stuck out the season. I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to play next year. I'm going to focus on track and football or do whatever. That's fine. Even though everyone in my family, like even like my band instructor was like, I've never had a basketball player on the team before. Like, I you should stick with it. That'd be awesome. And I'm like, okay, cool. But I got halfway through the season. I was like, I, I can't fucking do this anymore. I'm sitting on the bench. I'm wor- working my ass off. And I'm a better athlete than these people who are out there playing. But mm-hmm. again, they're putting in more work and effort than I was. You know, because I was doing other stuff, and they were only focused on basketball. So I get right. it, but but now, obviously, I didn't get the time. I get it now, yeah, <laughs> with perspective, obviously. But still, it's it's one of the things that I regret most in my life is just having quit that because it was it was an easy decision to make, mm-hmm. but it's like it wasn't the right one. And unfortunately, it's I had to. It took me years to kind of figure that out. But for most people. Uh, quitting becomes a bad habit for them because it's an easy thing to do. And they think that it might might be the best thing in the long term, but it, it usually never is. Yeah, I, and I think that's a good point. I, I hate that that word is applicable, but I think it's the best word that you could use is like the shame, like to be ashamed of that. Yeah. Um, there is multiple times that I like lied to quit something. And carry that shame like i am unbelievably uh full of shame about those situations and for like i can't let go of that yes it's a very difficult thing to to have to carry with you later in life because it's not like you're just like oh yeah i did my best and that was all she wrote it's you can't really say that now right it's like oh shit (laughs) and if you talk about it with someone you have two options then you can either say a lie about why you did it you can continue that process of quitting, like basically you're going to quit telling the truth of why you did that, that you just caved in. I caved in. I gave in to the fact that it was really difficult and I didn't want to do it. So I made something up to get myself out of it. Or you can suck it up and be brave enough to tell the person the truth and not hide behind a story. I hear people hide behind stories all the time. I think most people don't even realize that they're doing it. I think it's almost a Probably subconscious true. thing of they're just trying to, you know, justify it away or get rid yeah. of it or do whatever. And it's like, no, I think you need to really sit down and like soul search on this one and mm-hmm. really decide what it is that you're doing. That hiding from it is 
very easy. It's comforting. Yes. To create a story. Uh, so here's an easy one. Um, uh, 11th grade. No, sorry. 10th grade, I was running cross country. And we were at districts. And I knew that we weren't going to win as a team. I knew I wasn't going to place. And I wasn't doing great. I wasn't feeling great. And then in the middle of the race, I decide uh, I'm probably two miles into a three-mile run for the 5K. And I decide to fake a hamstring cramp so that I didn't have to finish because I thought that would be easier than suffering through and getting a bad time because I knew that for what I had been running that season, it was not going to be because you were just you were just having a bad day. Yeah. Right. So what do I do? I don't want a bad day. I have to create this dramatic moment that takes people's minds off of the fact that I wasn't running my best. Truth be told, no one gave a shit I wasn't running my best. Yeah. I'm the only one that would have Yeah, no, about nobody that. cares. That, right. That's that's the one big thing that I think that people always worry about. It's like, I wonder what people are thinking of me. Well, they're not. They're not. The, all they're worried about is what you think of them. That's all they care about. They don't give two right. shits about you. Step one, they're not. <laughs> Move on. Yes. So I faked it. And I, man, I Denzel Washington that act as best <laughs> I could. And like, I tried to give it everything. Um, and as far as I know, people believed it. And I remember the moment that I decided to do it. And ever since, I have been incredibly ashamed of that. Because I also, when I was in basic training, had to run the two-mile for the PT test. And I was not Because you were well. in the Army, correct? Right. So for basic training for the Army, part of what you do is your physical fitness test. And it's uh, two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, and then a two-mile run. And there's a certain quota you have to hit to pass, right. all that kind of good stuff. If not, do you get recycled or they kick you out? Uh, you get recycled. Until you can do it. Right. Gotcha. I was in a position where if I did well enough, I would win the uh, PT award, which is something that when you graduate, if you have the highest score out of the battalion, you get this award. Uh, or sorry, for each company. When the battalion graduates, each company's highest. How big's a company? Ooh, Ballpark, couple hundred. Okay, a few hundred. Yeah. So that's a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, be best out of a few hundred. And the you take multiple tests throughout uh, basic training. Yeah, because I think like like don't you basically do it a, a bunch, and then there's mm-hmm. that one time where it really counts. Yeah, right. And the drill sergeants pay attention to the scores because they like they want bragging rights. They want the person who's going to get the highest score in their platoon. Of course. So they have their favorites that they think are going to be able to do it. Uh, there was another girl in our group who I think got like just 10 points under me. Like she was really, really close with it. But they told me coming out of the push-ups and sit-ups, like, Lee, this is what you need to run in order to win. Which meant that even if I don't run that, I just did amazing. I did a phenomenal yeah. job, right? Like no matter what, you're like top 10% most likely. Right. And I'm starting the run and I feel like dog shit. Because it's at the end of basic training. You really haven't slept more than probably yeah. like four you're, you're hours all, a you're night. You're all beat down. You probably got shin splints. Yeah. Like you all kinds of issues going on. Like they got psychological problems from just being – I mean it's 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 mostly a mental. It's very much I mean, a it's Obviously, thing. it's very physical as well, but mostly yeah. it's mental. It's meant to beat you down. And the two-mile run is very much a mental run to begin with. You're taking eight laps on the track, and it's just monotonous. 
going around. Yeah, because thing. it's it's not long enough that you can like pace yourself, but it's it's too short to sprint. Right. So it's yeah, it's that middle distance that just blows. And I got like two, three laps into it, and I like my legs are hurting. It's like five o'clock in the morning, too. Like five five thirty in the morning when we're doing this, so the body is not ready. Like everything's working against you in this situation, <laughs> which meant that. I could have had a list of justifications for not trying hard enough. And they're telling you your times as you're going through the East Give me your splits. My splits are just barely good enough to hit the time, and which, by the way, like, was not a super fast time for what was needed. Ballpark? What was it? Do you remember? Because uh, you had to run a sub-13 minute two mile. That's uh, still pretty fast. At the time, though, like I'm coming out of running cross-country and long distance for... Uh, cross country and track when I was in high school where if like, if you didn't break 12 minutes, like the coaches would be like, why didn't you try hard enough? Kind of thing. Like I knew I could run. I mean, even in cross country, the, I think I was hitting sub 12 minute splits on a 5k. So I knew I had that in me prior to basic training. Yeah. I felt like shit. I'm comparing how I feel right now. Yeah, but then. that's that's almost not fair because again, it's not. you're going into a race where you're prepping for it. But none of that crosses your, your mind. You're tapering down. Yeah. Bullshit. did cross your mind. No, no, no. I'm saying none of that reason why you shouldn't oh, okay. use it. All of those are going through my head, but there are negatives. They're like you don't feel as good as you normally do. You don't. You're not running as fast as you normally. Oh, okay, are. okay. Like I'm still comparing myself to senior year. Yeah. When I'm running the two mile. And in no way should I have. Like, that's not warranted. But in that moment, I ignored that and definitely compared myself. After, like, the second or third lap, I'm hearing the splits, and I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I was like, yeah, but if you do, you get to live with that forever. And I was like, fuck. All right, I'll give you one more lap. Yeah, so you're like, you're having this mental debate with yourself. Like, okay, one more. Come on, come on, keep going. Like, I could slow down right now. Like, I don't have to do this. Like, you're right. You don't have to. But if you don't do it, you're going to live with that for the rest of your life. It's like, all right, I'll give you another lap. And I was like, all right, I can do one more. I can do one more. I finished, like, just barely under what I needed. And even then, like, there was no guarantee that I won. Like, I didn't find out. Yeah, because other people are still going right. and stuff. So you, you don't know. Like, you could have someone come out and just fucking kill it on a two-mile and get all kinds of points with it. But I hit that one in, like, even to this day comparing the moment I quit from cross country to that one where I didn't, I know in cross country, I would have been running faster. That race, even on that bad day would have been better than what I ran in basic training. So what was the difference for you that kept you pushing instead of, you know, pulling out with like an injury or just like say, Hey, it's just not my day. I'm just going to slow down or do whatever. Because, if I did win, like I, I get to remember that. Okay. I don't know the. It wasn't just not having the shame or the regret of it, because if I ran and I did like everything I could, like I I didn't give into it and I still didn't win. Okay, I mean that would have sucked, but it wouldn't been wouldn't have been because I gave in. So maybe it was because you've already kind of felt that. Dare I say it, the shame yeah. of like faking an injury, injury, <laughs> injury to pull out of a to meet or do that. So it's like because you've already kind of thought about that. You're like I'm not fucking doing that again, right? So it was like, but and I knew my but, family but was going to be there. But it's not like you made 
that decision beforehand. We're like going into the run. No. Like you had to literally make it lap by lap. Yeah. So what, what, what made you make that lap by lap and keep going and keep pushing where you actually came in under the time that you needed? Even though, like, it's early in the morning, you're beat up, like, you're sore, everything else, it's not optimal. Like, you haven't really trained for this. It's not like right. you've been, you know, prepping for it and you're tapering down and you're really excited and you're nope. going to go for a big, like, no, it's like, none of that. Get your ass up and get moving, son, go. You got to run yep. this, move. You guys warmed up? Too bad. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. I don't know. Okay. I just remember the conversation. I, I remember where I was on the track. And, like, it was almost like every time I got 50 yards past, on that first curve. So you're like 150 meters in. And like every time I hit that, as I'm going through. So you're, you're on the back straightaway. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be done. Like, no, come on. I want to be done. No, come on. We can just finish this one lap. All right. Then we can talk about it. And I'm having an actual conversation back and forth with myself being like, I want to quit. Like, I don't need to do this. Like, you're right. You don't need to do this. But you can. And I don't know why. Like, I... I remember thinking that my family was going to be there at graduation. And it was like, I, if I win this, I get to win it like in front of them, which was huge for me, like to be able to have that. And I, I, it's that idea that I didn't, I knew that I would carry the regret of it. Yes. And because you, because you've already been there and you, and you've suffered through that. You know what that feels like? And it's, fucking miserable and i hate what ifs yeah i absolutely hate what ifs which is like a whole different conversation well, yeah, yes and no because i think it's so applicable here because I, I tell people this all the time it's like you've got to take all the 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 possible regrets or the what ifs or any kind of question off the table it's like you've got to put in everything you got mm-hmm. so that way you can walk away being like hey it didn't work out the way I wanted yes. it to. I did the best I could. Or yes. you come up victorious. It doesn't matter. But either way, you know that you did everything you possibly could to, to make it through to that. And so I don't think that in that moment I would have articulated it that way necessarily. But yes, it's, it's that of, you know, what, I'm going to give what I what I have. And I know it's not a lot right now, but I'm going to give it. Yeah, but it's the best you had to give, which is literally everything. Because at the end of it, if I have to look back on this and say, yeah, what if you had pushed a little more? To make it, do you think you had it in you to push? And you don't know. Oh, I hate that feeling. I hate it. Yeah, nobody likes that. That's yeah. no fun. So, and like you said, having known what that is, being able to look back and realize that there are all kinds of what if moments from times that I quit before that, to be like, no, I'm not doing it. It's like, but it it was an ongoing thing. It wasn't I, one I, that, decision. That that's the part that I love because a lot of people. You know, if they make that decision, it's because of past failures or problems they had, and they're going to make a decision. Okay, from here on out, I'm going to push hard. This is what's going to happen, and I'm going to, you know, move forward, whatever it takes, mm-hmm. and give it everything I've got. Whereas I love the fact that you're literally lap by lap, mm-hmm. you know, of an eight eight lap race, you know, having to be like, I've got to keep pushing. Like I want to quit. No, you can't quit. You got to keep moving. There's that constant yeah. struggle. That you're going through, it's not like you've already made up your mind and you're just pushing no. and working hard. Like you're thinking that back straight away. Okay, I'm gonna make some distance on some people. I'm gonna keep moving forward and then like take that turn hard and then you know like bear down that last straightaway. Like it's, yeah, no. it's you're not thinking that you're like shit. Uh, this is hard. I want to be done. Yeah. Like no, like suck it up, bitch. Let's keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I love the fact that you literally had that every yes. single lap. Like it, it, it makes me so happy that you you had that internal struggle. But you push through, 
and you got the time that you need it. Because uh, there was no strategy. You're right. There was not – when I ran track, there was always strategy. Yes. Because it's all you're thinking of. Right. Because again, yeah. when, in, obviously in this in this scenario in in the in the military and for a PT test, like there's no strategy. You're just no. trying to survive. Yes, like I just got to get through this and make the time, and I get kicked out. That's all right. I need. <laughs> and every every time that I did a PT test after that, it would, did not feel that way because there was no pressure on it. it. It was like you just said right there. I need to make that time. Like I knew what I needed to run, and I would go run it. Yeah, and I would get my points. Like yeah, yeah, yeah pass for the year. We're good to go. So I don't get flagged, but. In that moment, like there was that next layer on top of it where like I knew I could run it and get the hundred percent. But if you go above a hundred percent, you get the extra points. And that's what that's the time that they were giving me. But instead of looking at it as a strategy, I go like, all right, I need to run this time, which means that each lap I need to hit this split. So if I take it on this corner at this speed and then I get No. It was Dear God, I'm dying. I wanna <laughs> stop. And this other part of me going, yeah, yeah it's you early. Can't. Everything hurts. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. Like, God damn it. it I want to be done. It was this constant negotiation. Like, yeah, but what if we just like slow down for like 50 meters or something? Like, no. <laughs> like, you do that and like you could lose however much time. So just take and, it. and not to mention getting that back is nearly impossible yeah. at that point because then you got to go so much faster to make up that time. It's like you have to have a second thing where you win twice. So, that mean, what I mean by that is like if I slow down for five seconds and I try to make up that five seconds, not only do I have to convince myself to speed back up to the normal pace, I have to convince myself to go even faster yes. past it. Yes. And it's like, that's two arguments I have to win against myself. <laughs> like, I don't have the energy for this. So I'm not sure how we got over there with all that, but um, what were we talking about? Tangents. Tangents. Yes. <laughs> this, this is great shit. All right. So uh, we cannot leave this moment without saying, did you win? I did. Okay. Yeah. So you got your PT award for your uh, company. I did. I won. I got the high score for the company. Very and, cool. Uh, my aunt and uh, my sister and brother-in-law were able to be there at graduation to see it. Like I got to graduate with honors and uh, it was in the paper uh, back home that like I graduated with honors having won. So I mean that was a that's a big deal. Like that's I still, a huge win. I still have the coin that they give you. You got like a challenge coin? Uh from one of do, 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 do. who was it? Not our captain. Lieutenant Colonel for the battalion, I think came around, like shook all of our hands for it, um, and gave us a coin. All the winners of the different companies? Yeah. Gave us a coin for it. So I still have those. Uh back home. Very cool. And yeah, like, so now I get to have this story, whereas I, I get to share that. I get well, to remember. No matter it. what, you'd have the story. And the fact that you won is icing on the, on the cake, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's a huge bonus. But mm -hmm. the real win here is the fact that you had that internal struggle every single lap, but you didn't give in. You kept pushing. It wasn't an amazing time by any means, like from what you've run before, but, right. for, but for what you needed, you got it done. And that's the important part. Whether or not you won or not, if somebody else came in and blitzed it because they were having a good day or whatever, who right. cares? Right. That's on them. Like, all you can do is focus on you. And that that's the big win. To compare it to the PhD, I would say I was in, in an even better, like, mental resilience place. Or resilient place. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I had better mental resilience with the PhD because, like I said, it never occurred to me to quit. There was no mental talk about you know, I want to be done with this. No, we can't do it. We 
you know, we signed up for this. So we have commitments. Like we wanted this our whole life. Da, 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 da. No, it was just like, that fucking sucked today. Yeah. But well, I'm going to, but I'm going to be here until they literally drag me out of right. here. It's like you are going to fire me. No, don't click that. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You can play with it. Yeah. Just don't click it. <laughs> it's like, he's clicking, he's clicking a pen over here. You know, that one clicks that one, too. I know. <laughs> what do I have around here that doesn't click? <laughs> get like one of those spinners. Play. Oh yeah, um, that'll sound great on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> I'm looking for fidget toys. <laughs> we're good. We're good. I was like, play with my ring or something. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, like uh, you're going to have to literally fire me in order to get rid of me. Yes, and that's the mentality I think that most people nowadays don't have. I don't think they have that. I'm going to be here until you literally drag me out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have that kind of get up and go in them anymore. And I don't know what it, I don't know if it's society. I don't know if it's the fact that they've just been coddled too much. Uh, if it, we want to blame social media because of all the instant gratification and the, yeah. the dopamine hits and all, I don't know. But like people today just don't seem as tough as they used to be. That's a good point. Cause it doesn't feel like motivation. What do you mean? The times when I'm motivated, there's this sense of, you know, enthusiasm and energy where it's like, or even if it's not big and explosive, it's definitely this feeling of like being driven forward. It's like, oh man, I really want to do this. I have this, because it happens a lot when I come up with ideas for research. It's like, oh, I really want to dive into this. I want to go figure out how something works and then how does it apply to the bigger picture of what I'm talking about. And it's very motivating to do that. But when I thought about or think back on the PhD, when I think back on the moment in training, when I think back on basic training in general, it doesn't feel motivating. We're like, all right, I can do this. This is what I want. It's more like, I'm going to do it one way or another. Well, you're almost like suffering through the moment instead of being excited about it. Is that what you're trying to get at? There was a moment when I was in my office after giving a presentation that just went fucking awful. Honestly, this is no exaggeration. It was the worst presentation I've ever given in my life. And I'm standing in the office working on something else. To and, and dare myself. I say, it's not like you didn't prepare for it. It's not like no, you didn't work God. your ass off for it. It's like you just showed up like, well, let's see what happens here. Like, I know you. I, like, I know you prepared for it. I was doing six hour a day preparation sessions yeah. like, to get ready for this. And, and it, it, it just, you just shit the bed. Right? It, oh is what, it is what it is. Like, it's going to happen. So, just, so anyway, so you're back yeah. in the office after that. I'm working on a different project just to distract myself. and From like mentally beating yourself up? Yeah. Yeah. And realizing, like, oh, my God, I, I'm dreading coming in over the next two days because I don't want to run into the professor that I gave the presentation to because I don't even want to make eye contact with them. That's, like, how embarrassed I am about how this went. And just realizing, like, you're fucking miserable here. You are unbelievably miserable doing what you're doing. Why are you doing this? And just realizing is, like, because this isn't what it's about. Like, yeah, I'm miserable. I get that. But after five years, I have letters that they can't take away from me. Like, I get to say, like, this the is the letters what I, after your name. After my name. Yeah. yeah. Like, no one gets to tell me, no matter how badly it went to get to that point, you don't get to take that away from me. And it's like, I don't give a shit what that takes. And that doesn't feel motivating. I don't know if that's grit or it's resilience or it's just sheer stubbornness the answer to all that is yes and that's what it takes to be successful yes 
That was a good podcast, everybody. Have fun. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Honestly, I think we could call it there realistically. We're not yeah. going to, of right. course. <laughs> we, we oh, yeah. We didn't schedule this time to only be in 37 minutes. Get right. out of here. <laughs> no, that's a very light podcast. Part one. Uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. In a nutshell, yes, that is what it takes to be successful. And I think that for whatever reason, like you said, like you listed a bunch of things on why that might not be, whether it's social media or just like kind of society. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but that the, doesn't the people exist. that I meet today, like the kids just don't have that kind of drive. They, they don't. Great example of this. Like, uh, like my daughter, she's in college right now. She just got some job. Uh, I guess some bullshit job. Like she, I'm, I'm trying to convince her to get like a job as a server or a bartender or something mm-hmm. like that where she actually makes some good money and mm-hmm. not work tons and tons and tons of hours, right? Yeah. Um, but she's got this job. It's like a shaved ice place. Okay. You know, and she used to work in high school at like this little coffee shop. It's like a little drive through place. I guess you, there's like a, like a window you can walk up to and order, but it, most people were, is a drive through. Right. And she got really good tips because they had regulars and it was like a little local place. And like, you know, people loved like the local stops. I mean, I know me personally, like I'd, I'd rather stay away from the big chains and go to like local places. That's just kind of how I feel personally. Yeah. Right. So she made some good money on tips and stuff. So she's gotten this job thinking, hey, it's it's very similar to what I was doing in high school. Like yeah. I kind of know the idea. I just need to learn this new thing, which is making smoothies and, and shaved ice instead of making coffee drinks. Right. No big deal. It's it's a quick learning curve for her. But she got into this job and obviously she, she got in there. She had the interview and the person who was hiring her, I don't know if it was like the manager or if it was just the shift lead. I don't know who it was, but they were like, I've never done this before. I want you on my team. You are hired. It wasn't, we need to think about it. We'll call it. No, I want you. We are going to hire you. And I, I keep telling her, it's like, you are different than the kids that, that you are. The other kids that are in her age bracket and group that she's competing against. Yeah. Right. Like, you are heads and shoulders above them. You can talk to adults. You look them in the eye. Mm-hmm. You, you have, you can have great conversations. You're not stuck in your phone and texting. Like you understand good customer service. Like you, you are, they are going to want to hire you no matter what you go into. It's just now you're going in to interview them to see if that's where you want to work. If you want to spend your time with oh, these yeah. people, yeah. this is the, this is the mentality that you need to have because it's happening. Every interview she's gotten into, sometimes she gets turned down before she can get in the interview, which which happens. It's no big deal. They're they're trying to weed out people however they can. They've right. got they're overwhelmed. Like I get it, but it's like once you get in there, they're going to want you. And this is what happened. They're like, I want you. You're hired. We want you to start training right away, and then we'll you know get you started after the semester ends. This was a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well. She started working a couple of shifts. She wasn't really well trained and she's like working with a shift lead who's like, Hey, like all of us people who've been here for a couple of years, like we're getting ready to leave. We're all graduating. We're going off. Like you've not been very well trained. You don't know how to do this stuff. You might want to start looking for another job because they might not keep you around. And I, and she called me, was upset about this. And I was like, you need to stick it to that asshole. Like, cause this isn't like a boss, this isn't a manager. This is just some person who's got a little bit more authority than you because they're running a shift because they've been there for a few years. That, okay. That's all it is. Yeah. It's not like your boss is telling you, well, you kind of suck at this. This is just some other coworker. I'm like, they're just jealous. Don't you worry about it. You get there early. You learn the jobs you don't know how to do. You figure all this kind of stuff out. And like, and she's like three or four weeks into this job and they're saying, you, you already leveled up. And I want you to level up again. I think you could be a shift lead by the end of the summer, which is normally like a year-long thing. Boom. And she's going to be there in a couple of months because, again, she's doing more work than almost all the other employees there. She's going above and beyond and doing responsibilities that yeah. that 
are not in her job description. She's not at the level because they have levels, like level one, level two, level three. And I think level three is like a shift lead and level two is some other kind of thing. I don't know. Whatever. It's whatever their little system is. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's like she's already leveled up to level one instead of just being like a new person or whatever. And then the, uh, her her new shift leader, whoever it was, was like, I think you're ready for level two. You know, so it's like, I think you could be there by the end of, you know, end of the month. Yeah. Like, like three or four weeks, like no problem. And then they were saying like, yeah, by the end of the summer, you'll probably be a shift lead, like be, you know, opening and closing the place and counting the money and doing all that kind of stuff. Like the person who made yeah. the comment to her. Well, exactly. Like yeah. we'd be in that kind of level, even yeah. though it took them a couple of years to get there. Like you could be there in a few months. Right. Because again, like she's going in and working harder than everybody else. She's going above and beyond. She's handling customers. She's cleaning stuff that needs to be cleaned. She's doing all the things behind mm-hmm. the scenes that need to get done. But the other kids that are in her same predicament, they're not doing those things. So what, what and, is and that? I don't. I don't know. But like to her, it's it's a. I don't know if it's an ego thing or if it's. I've always kind of tried to like push that honor as like you need to be better than everybody else. It's your job to go there and work circles around them. And like, let your drive and determination determine where you go, not somebody else's opinion. So, like a work ethic aspect. Absolutely, it's a work ethic aspect. But I think it goes deeper than that because, yeah. again, like, it pissed her off that some asshole it basically said, "Yeah, you haven't been trained well. All of us people who've got experience, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Like, you're probably not going to make it. So, you might want to look for something different." And I'm like, "You need to prove them wrong." Yeah, and and she took wholeheartedly to that. And I told her, "I like, get there early, learn the stuff you need to learn." If, if you guys are busy and you don't know how to do something, okay, do what you can do. That's fine. But then when you slow down, like, okay, you need to teach me how to do this now. Because now, now we've got time. Because we're not swamped. Right. You know, and, and she's gone above and beyond and learned the things that she needs to learn. And it's like, well, most of the people, they aren't going to do that. Because what do they do? They show up. They're lazy. They don't do anything until they get yelled at to do something. And they might do a little bit of something. But that's it. What's that line from Office Space? Oh, God, it's been since college and I've watched that. He's like, I, in a given week, do about 15 minutes of real work. It's just enough to not get fired. (laughs) And I feel like that's a majority of people where they figure out, for one reason or another, like sometimes you can have people who like very, um, very good intentions when they come in of wanting to work hard. And then as an employee for somebody else. But there becomes the issue. Well, even if they're like a contractor. So like their reco- like their work ethic and their work in general is going to make them money. Now it also makes the person that they're contracted for or with, you know, makes them money as well. But I'm thinking of like the gym where we have the coaches at Unrivaled Strength, where we have contractors as you know members of the strength team, of the other coaches there. So you know, I'm going to say that if you were about to say that they're it's not their job if they're an employee. No, 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 no. I think, I, think, their I think that's how you can tell the difference of an employee versus, versus somebody who's self-employed. Because okay, somebody, somebody who's self-employed or it's their business or even well, – I'd still be self-employed. Like if it's your business, you're going to work much, much harder oh, for God, it because yes. it, it's yours and you need to right. make it work because that's your livelihood. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're an employee, you're thinking just like, well, what's the least amount of stuff I can do around here without getting fired? Like that's, yes, that's how yeah. a lot of people view a job. And it's like there's this adage of – like the old school 1950s, we're going to go to work at nine, we're going to be off at five, we're going to be in the office all day, typing away our computers, the manager's looking over our shoulders and doing all this kind of shit. And it's like, if you've got an eight-hour workday and you're you're an employee and you're working for your employer, mm-hmm. it's like, how much work are you really putting in? On a normal day, average, I'd say three, maybe four hours. 
Okay. Right? Because other times, like, you're, you're just, you're spacing out, you're relaxing, maybe you're sorting through things, getting ready for something else. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're going to chit chat at the coffee shop, you're, you're doing whatever. It's like, you're, you're talking with your coworkers or doing, doing different stuff. Like, you're not working from like nine to five, like sitting down and just oh, no, yeah. to typing away. Like, you're not doing that shit. That doesn't work. And, and I think that companies are starting to realize that kind of stuff and they're realizing, Hey, we're actually getting more productivity out of people when we give them more free space. When you mm-hmm. can kind of treat them, like they're almost like an owner or like a partner instead of just an employee. You need to work, be in your desk from nine to five, blah, blah. Like, no, it's when you give them some more freedom, I think that you'll, you'll see that they actually are more productive. And that obviously you can realize that they might be able to get eight hours worth of work in, in four hours because mm-hmm. they can be productive. Yeah. And I think that you're seeing a lot of companies do that where it's like, hey, there's no work hours. You know, come in when you want, leave when you want, get your work done. We don't care. Like, do your thing. And like, especially now with a lot of people working from home, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, they can get up early and go for a run or they can like go work out or do something, then come back and finish their day or like maybe get up early. Like I got a buddy who gets up super early and starts working for his kids get up okay, and, yeah. and then he gets his kids off to school and he comes back and he works for a couple of hours. He takes a little bit like a longer lunch, goes and works out. He might go to the golf course and hit some, you know, chips and putts or does whatever and then Goes back, works a few hours in the, in the afternoon. The kids get home and he gets them dinner and does all that kind of stuff. And as the wife gets home from from work or whatever that is, then they kind of spend some time together. And then he might have a couple of hours in the evening to kind of finish up some emails or get caught up on things or whatever. But he's got this whole day set up where he's focused on his family. He's doing what needs to be for the kids. Like he's mm-hmm. working with everybody, like getting them to events or doing whatever and like coordinating with her, his wife because she's working as well. But it's like it's – it's such a better way of working because he's happier, his yeah. family's better taken care of, and he's still getting his work done. It's not like, no, you need to be here from 9 to 5, and I'm going to check on you 15 minutes before 5 o'clock to make sure you're still at your desk. And it's like, right. get the fuck out of here. Like, that shit doesn't work anymore. It's like, oh, why haven't we moved past that as a society? It's like, you're not getting eight hours worth of work out of people. It's just not happening. But just let them get their work done and let them be productive on their own time. The uh, weekly agenda approach or method. So let's say you go in Monday morning, and if you are going in versus doing remote work, uh, this is one that I've heard about. I, if I were in a situation like this, I would you know, advocate for it. Um, and you have a meeting that says, here's what I'm going to get done this week. And it has to be approved by whoever you know oversees you, whether it's your manager or whatnot. Um, and then you're just like set free. Yeah. As go, long as that happens, time. doesn't matter how many hours you do, like that's your project. If you get done early, let's say you get it done by Thursday, you have a second meeting that says, all right, from here to, you know, the end of the week, whatever that is now, what are you working on? Because I'm not going to just give you free time with that. Like, we're going to keep moving forward, but I want to know what you're working on until then. That gets approved. Meet again Monday. If that includes one day where you're just like in the zone and you're like 10 hours, there's like busted out. Okay, great. You got it done. Um, Or if that's over the course of like, four or five days and you do like two, three hours doing it. Uh, my friend Cassie uh, has, I don't know if she, I know that she moved jobs recently, so I don't know if this is at the old job or if this is now, but they work in a similar fashion where the boss says, listen, we have this project that a, uh, she's a biomedical engineer and she makes these like spinal implants. And so companies will come to them and say, you know, here's what we want you to be able to design for us. Here's what it needs to do. And so they'll put together concepts for them. And the boss is like, listen, we need three concepts in two weeks. Do you think you can do that? He's like, yeah, I can do that. Boss is like, great. That's the whole conversation. Yeah. 
go do it. I don't care if you're here or you're home. I don't care if you do it in the evening or in the morning. Just like make sure you track your hours so I know how much to pay you on it. You're done. Yeah. And like she kills it. Like she's come to get a massage before like with her husband. So while he's getting worked on, she's sitting there on the computer like with uh, the Normatex on her legs getting therapy just like working on work, busting it out. She closes the computer, comes over, gets the massage and she's getting paid. Right then. Yeah. Because she's doing her job. She has that balance yes. of figuring out. I, th- I think that that's been a, a great move forward in this past couple of years mm-hmm. with people, especially working from home and doing all that kind of stuff. But another great example of this also is like restaurants, right? So if like a restaurant is such a low markup business, it's so hard to make things work. Mm-hmm. And most people don't realize that. They think, oh God, they're selling all this kind of stuff to make all this money. It's like, no, like there's, there's so slim margins in restaurants that like it's, it's it's pennies for make or break that place. It's crazy. So I was like, can you ever think of a time where like you got into a restaurant, let's say ten minutes before they closed, and all the employees are like, Fuck. yeah, like, yeah, we're still open. Come on in. They're trying to close, and half the stuff shut down, and it's pulled away. Even though technically they're not supposed to be doing that until right. they lock the doors and close because they need to be open during the hours of business. That's the idea. Right. Like, yeah, you want to get out of there twenty minutes earlier than. So you want to start a little early. I get it, but that's not how business works. But how many times have you done that? And they're like, fuck. And like, yeah. I feel like an asshole. You normally, I won't go. If I know they're closing, I just won't go in. I've been there. It sucks. I just, I usually don't do it if, if I have a choice. Right. But how many times, like, have you also been to a place where you're like, like the place is like closing up shop, the lights are off, the owner's walking out because they've been in there working all day because it's hard work and they usually have to do it because they can't afford to pay somebody to do it. They got to right. volunteer their time because they're not getting paid mm-hmm. to go in and do all that work. And that's a bunch of people drive up or do whatever. Like, hey, we've got a party of 10 or whatever. Like, can we come in? It's 10 minutes after they, they've closed or whatever. And the owner's like, yeah, come on in. They go back in there. They turn the lights on. They, they turn the equipment back on. Like, let's get going. Like, game yeah. on. Cause it's their business and they want to serve people. And that's, yeah. that's more important to them. Not just, oh, well, I want to get off a half an hour earlier. No, it's like you, you are now making almost like a, uh, a good client for life. Oh, absolutely. Because you're like, hey, this person took care of me. I'm going to take care of them. I'm yep. going to go back there and give them my business. Not only that, is I'm going to recommend it to all my friends. Yeah, you know, Jimbo, whoever down at the at the Greasy Spoon is awesome. <laughs> like, like, go to, go down there and support their business. Like that that that's like the difference of like the employee versus the employer, in my opinion. Like yeah. the owner. That's like no, that's a great example. Uh, I know that with massage, I've had that happen where someone comes in and they say, uh, you know, what are your hours for the week? I have this thing that's going on. I tell my hours like, well, nothing really works in there. And so I'm like, all right, I have a decision to make right now. I can open up new times to help this person out. Or I can, the thought is not let them go to someone else. It's I can let them continue to suffer with what they have going on. Yes. Because you're in the business to help right. people. You're not worried yeah. about so much the money. The money is a byproduct of what you do. Right. Dare I say. I know that like, I can you're pay bills in this, and take care of myself. You're in this yeah. to change people's lives and make it better. And when they say that, and you can like see it, they're like, oh man, there's not hours. It goes, okay, uh, do you want to do like Tuesday at 7.30? Like, I thought you closed at 6.30. It's like, I do, but if you're going to be here, you're going to be lifting anyway, and you're going to probably finish up around 7, take a half an hour, cool yourself off, come on in, we can do the work. Are you sure? I don't want to keep you here too late. And they're like, I'm like, no, seriously, like, that's fine. We can do it. Now, if I have something obviously going on that night. Of then, course. Right. I'm not going like, to sacrifice that part. But if I can make time for somebody in an area where I know that I have it, yeah, just like you're saying with the restaurant owner, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, let's go. Come on. Come on in because that's what I'm there for. 
I wouldn't, if I had someone hired, I would not expect them to do that. I would love if they did. But I think that you can also, as a, if you start to employ people to work for you, Mm -hmm. which is a tricky place. Yeah. Because you don't want to dilute the product. You want people to be working with you, which is good, but you can, you only have so much time. So if you want to make more of an impact, you're going to have to open it up to more people. Like that, that's just kind of how that works. But yep. you can also create the culture of, no, this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I know like my chiropractor, Dr. Max, is the same way. You know, it's, it's like if, if I go in to see him, he's always going to see me no matter what. I don't care if they're swamped. If, if anything happens, like he will always see me. And, and like the, the, the girls up front who like do all the scheduling and that kind of stuff, they're like, Hey, we're, we're busy. And if this and that, like there are times that I've just called ahead and said, Hey, I'm coming in. Like I've had a problem. I need to see Dr. Max. I'm on my way. And I don't, I don't care if everybody else goes home, like while I'm there, if they want to lock up and do whatever. I don't, if I, I don't get any therapy after the treatment, or whatever, that doesn't bother me. But if I need to see Dr. Max, I know that he will always take the time to see me because that's his business. But more importantly is that I've been going to see him for years. I've sent tons of people to see him and he's always going to take that extra time to make sure that I'm taking care of whatever that is. If I injured myself, like there was one time, like I literally like hit my head and I was like, I need to go see Dr. Max and make sure I'm okay. And like, and I got in there and he's like, yep, you're all good. No worries. There's no problems. Like, great. Awesome. Let me make an appointment. I'll see you next week or in a couple of days or whatever it is you want to see me next. I don't care. But he's always like, yeah, I'll stay two hours late for you. I don't care because that's my business and I want to make sure that I'm going to help the people that I want to help. But even though some of the, the people up front are like, hey, I've got, I got to go pick up my kids. I got to do this. I got, yeah. I got other things to do. Like, I've got to get off work. I'm like, go do your thing. I don't care. Yeah. You know, go like, because obviously, like, Dr. Max will stay there as long as he needs to. If, if he needs to send, like, you know, like his wife works with him. If he needs to send, like, Chrissy home to, to go take the kids or to go do whatever, that's fine. Like, I, I'll I'll figure the stuff out later. Like, I don't care. But if I need to see him, he'll always see me, which is great. And that's, and that's something that is, like, you, you almost can't buy that nowadays in society. It's just people don't almost have that kind of drive. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it to me anyway. That's a good word for it. Drive. It is a drive. So we were talking, like, what is it that, like, your daughter was showing that these other people weren't, or, like, what is it that Yeah, the but, but it's, it's, it's work ethic. It's a drive. You can call it lots of different things. Yeah. Well, I, like, I would distinguish those, like, a little bit differently because. How so? Well, I think of, like, work ethic as the version that you've been taught. Like, if you have a strong work ethic, like, you're willing to do hard work. But if you're driven, you're looking for hard work. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, that's what I think, like, your daughter was doing. Like, she was going in. She was looking to learn things. She was making the effort. She was looking for time to be able to go in. Like, what is the solution for me to figure out how to prove this asshole wrong? It's like, all right, we're going to go in early, and we're going to talk to people, and we're going to figure out what are the things I don't know. How do we learn the things I don't know? Like, she's looking for it, whereas the work ethic is what gets her through it, you know, once you actually are okay, being no, taught it. I, yeah. get I get what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that's a really good way, good thing to add to that, that you know that you don't see that very much anymore. Yeah, that makes me feel so old saying that sentence. No, but but it's true. Yeah, it really is true. Like I I know like, I mean, how, how old are you? Thirty six. Okay, so you're a few years younger than I am. Like mm-hmm. I'm thirty eight. I'll be thirty nine this year. You know, it's like I I always tell myself like I feel like I'm still like my late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. In, in my mind, I'm still there. Yeah, but it's like. There's a bunch of reminders of that's just not the case anymore. Like, 
like my body's all beat up. Like I don't heal like I used to. I'm having all kinds of issues. And it's like, I've, I've had to realize like I'm a middle-aged man. Like I don't want to admit that, but it really is true. Cause like, I mean, I'm almost fucking 40 and people are like, Oh, well, 40 is young. Like I get that, but not when you're 20. When you're 20, like a like, oh, 40s old as shit. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like take physiology out of it and just look at life experience and the mindset that comes along with that. The number of times that in the last year or two, I have heard things being said by like the 15 to 21 year old range, which I know that's a very wide range, but just like, well, yes and no. I mean, right. in age wise, that's not that right. big of a range. It's like the things I've heard said, I was like, what the hell is, <laughs> oh my God, I used to think that same thing or I used to do that same thing or like something similar to it. And I was like, and, and I know that oh every generation God. feels that way about like the, the generations yeah. behind them. I get it. It's just, it's part of like, well, they didn't have it as tough as we did and this and that, blah, blah. I get it. But yeah, th- once there's, it starts there's, happening, you're just like, but there's really a lot of truth to it. Yeah. There really is. Cause like, I try to be very logical about things. I try to, be, be very open-minded about certain things as well. I try to, not to be just a crotchety old fuck. Like, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But, it's like, some of these kids, it's like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not making any sense. Like, can you hear yourself? Like, what the hell? And, obviously, like, kids today are trying to be, like, more progressive than everybody else before. And it's like, but Jim Jeffries talked about this before. Like, yeah, but guess what? Every generation is the most progressive generation right. ever. Like, that's kind of how this works. Like, you, you get more progressive and you get older and you realize, oh, shit, that was really stupid. And this is why. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why these old fucks are telling you these certain things because they've got experience. So, some of the things you're talking about, yeah, they're probably applicable. Yes. A lot of what you're talking about, you're going to get these awful, rude awakenings in life where just like, oh, my At some God. point, you're like, oh. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't give away my entire paycheck because other people want free shit and they don't want to work. Like, oh, I, hmm. I get why people want to hold on to the, the money they work for. <laughs> that makes sense now. I get it because I actually have a paycheck now. Right. <laughs> I see how that affects things. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, 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 I always joke about it. Like, I hate doing taxes. I hate going to my tax guy and doing all that kind of stuff because it's like I, I have to see, unfortunately, how much money that my boss thinks that I make. But I know how much money I have to spend on my bills every month. And those two numbers are very different. And it's like, where the fuck is my money going? Like, I want my money. Like, I work for my money. Why can't I have my money? Right. I get really pissed off every, every year when I go do that because there's the money that my boss thinks that I make, which is obviously pre-tax money. What's that? The uh, the net? Or is that the gross? Oh, I don't know. Shit, I forget. I, should, I, think, I think it's I net. I think that's the net. I think the gross is what you get, like, after taxes and stuff. Okay. And they're very different numbers. And it's like, because, again, I know how much money I have every month to spend on my bills. And I know how much my, my, my boss thinks that I make. And it's mm. like, these aren't even close to each other. <laughs> Why the <laughs> fuck don't I get to keep my money? I get really mad about that. Where is it but, going? But when you're a kid and you're in college and that kind of stuff, you're thinking, like, oh, yeah, well, I want people to pay for my stuff because – like I want, I don't want to pay for my college. This is way too much money. Which college is way too much money? But let's not go there. Yeah. But so it's like you have those very progressive ideas. Like, yeah, well, you should pay for this and pay for this and pay for that. Like, the government should be taking care of this. Like, well, the government doesn't make any money. The government can only steal money from people who are gainfully employed. So where's that money really coming from? Oh, it's coming from you, but you're just not in the workforce yet. But give it like five or ten years when you get out of school and you go work for Starbucks. Yeah, then you'll actually be able to realize, oh shit. Maybe that's a bad idea of giving everybody else my money because where's all my money going? A little bit of life experience makes real big changes. Yeah, just a bit of difference. See, I know we've <laughs> talked about it, but this is why I've thought, especially in hindsight, like, the idea of working for a couple of years before going to college is such a great idea. Like, be in the workforce. 
And one, like you can have some income that you could then save and then like put use like I, while you're in school. I think I would love to go back to like the old internship programs. We had like a like a work study program mm. where you would like work for a semester, go to school for a semester. The the problem with that is you'll never have time off. You'll never have summers off. You you won't really have vacations except for like I guess like Christmas break, spring break, that kind of stuff. Maybe a couple weeks here and there. Other than that, though, it's like you you, you work a semester, you, you go to school for a semester. You work a semester, you go to school for a semester. And the idea being that especially if you can do it close to home, where you don't have to have room and board or your own apartment or whatever, is that you can essentially pay for school as you're going through it. But more but yeah. more importantly is that you'll literally be getting an actual education because you're actually be working. Because what most college Hands students on. don't realize is the fact that you're being taught by people who have probably never worked in the real workforce. So they don't actually know how to do what they're teaching you how to do is have a job because they've just been in academia their entire careers. So well, like when I went to school, I, I learned AutoCAD and got a – uh, degree in drafting and design, it's an associate's degree. It was a complete fucking waste of time because I've got people teaching me how to do AutoCAD that learned it in school. They didn't know how to do it in the real world. They didn't know how to do it in, in as a job. Right. I could have taken a two-week training course on how to open, save, draw lines, do commands, do that kind of stuff, and I would have been just as well off as I was from two years of college that I went to because, again, these people didn't know how to do what they were teaching me how to do. I learned more on the job than I was and I ever learned in school. School is a complete fucking waste of time and money for did, me. Did they for know some, it in theory? No, just because they've learned it in school. Oh, okay. like, they were literally in college teaching like manual drafting on the on the tables, but again, they've never done it. They've just, you know, done it in academia. They've never okay. done it for like a corporation for twenty years and then they've retired and now they're teaching to give back or whatever. Just fill up some time or whatever. It's not like that. Like, no, they've only ever been in academia. So they just learned it to teach a class. And now, the, okay, well, AutoCAD's a new thing. So we'll stop the hand drafting on drafting boards with pencils and stuff. And now we'll just teach it on the computer. Okay, well, I'll read the instructions. How do I draw a line? I do this. And they taught themselves how to do it. Mm -hmm. And now they're teaching other people how to do it. But they don't know how to do it because they've not done it for an actual real world situation. But it's like if you go back to like, what is it, the old uh, General Motors used to be that way. And they would have that work-study program. So you would go to work for you know a semester, and then you go to school for a semester. Mm -hmm. But you'd literally be like implementing the things that you'd be doing you know, from school, like in the job on the real on the real-world training, realizing, oh, this is important. That's not important. Focus on this. And they had it all mapped out so that when they got out, I assume they had to probably put in a couple of years of service, like to General Motors, to be able to have them put them through that program, yeah. or whatever it was. But it's like, but it's so much better because now you're going to come out, you're going to be out of debt, you're going to mm -hmm. have school paid off, you're going to have real world experience, you're already going to have a job most likely, mm -hmm. you're going to work there for a couple of years, and if it's not what you want to do, then you can move on and go do something else. Right. That's no problem. But now, we send all these kids to school, they waste their time and money, and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on these degrees that mean nothing. They're going to get out and realize, oh, all the stuff I learned in school was just theory. They didn't know how to do it, so now I've got to relearn it and do it the way they want me to do it. So it's like, what are we doing here? Like, we're just strapping these kids with all this debt for no goddamn reason. People can't see me nodding enthusiastically as you're going through this. <laughs> you're so excited over here. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree with you. I the, I didn't realize that that was a thing. I didn't, it used to program. be, but they've gone away from it. It sounds fantastic, actually. It's, it's It makes the most sense if you want to set our kids up for success. Because right now, the, the current schooling system is not setting them, setting them up for success. It's setting them up to fail. 
why fail? Because they're going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt that that they can't get rid of. They're going to have a job they're not qualified for because they don't know how to do it. And then most of them do not, I mean, over, last I heard, over 50% of all college graduates, that's the graduates, not even the people who, who dropped out, right. just the graduates, do not work in the field they studied in. You know what that oh, tells believe, me? I you know what that tells me? Their degree is that. a fucking waste of time. Now, there yeah. are some that need it, doctors, lawyers, yeah. nurses, you know, people say engineers, ah, I get it, but I've worked with engineers who didn't go to school and they learned it all on the job and they're fucking great engineers. But you can't oh, call yeah. them engineers because they don't have their BS degree. But they can do all the work of an engineer, and they're way better than these kids who are coming out of school mm-hmm. who learned all this theory and bullshit from people in academia who don't have any real-world experience. And I think that's what we're missing is the real-world experience. So I yeah. love the idea of getting these kids, instead of just rushing off to college, I would love to see them in some sort of a volunteer service industry, whether that's locally, whether it's abroad, whether it's the military, whether it's the Peace Corps, whether it's just – Going to improvised areas and working with food pantries or, you know, um, uh, soup kitchens or whatever, like, you know, just like give back to the world. Go see what it's really like because you've had these cushy little lives that don't represent what it's really like to live. You think you've lived, but you've never not had a $1,300 iPhone and a Mac Pro laptop thingamabobber and an iPad and or Samsung or Google or whatever all the bullshit is. doesn't matter. It's like you've never not had these things in your $12 take your bucks latte and all this kind of stupid yep. shit. You've you've never not had those kind of things. You don't know what the real world's like. And it's not that the – I agree with you. I want to say that. Well, how could off. you not? This is so much <laughs> logic. <laughs> Just so all the logic is being spewed out. Um, Sorry, guys. I'm ranting. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, it's not that the technology aspect is bad. To say like, oh well, you have an iPad. We didn't have that when you know when I was young. It's it's a great tool if it's used properly, right? But it's, dare I say, it's almost never used properly. Yeah, very rarely. And you can see Apple like having certain things that are in there. Like they have um, Apple University, or is it uh, I University, something like that, where they have these college courses that you can take. It's a an app that's automatically installed on iPhone and on the iPad. And I've gone like, as someone who loves learning. This is like heaven. Yeah, just like, the perpetual student oh that we've always gosh. talked about. Yeah. yeah. Then there's a bunch of stuff on there that I have no interest in, sure, but it's the fact that it exists and like they're putting it out there. Yeah. And not to mention, nowadays, you can go on YouTube and, and, and watch tons of college lectures. Oh, yeah. You could literally take college classes just on YouTube in your spare time, mm-hmm. you know, having never paid any tuition. I mean, go off on a like, slightly subtangent over here. That's kind of what we do around yeah. here. Like, <laughs> So when we were talking before about doing a couple hours of work and then like that accumulating and the building into something bigger, it's like imagine taking like 30 to 60 minutes every single day. And this was kind of the the slogan for uh, the great courses, audiobooks that came out. It was also like, was it Malcolm Gladwell's like to be an expert, you got to spend like 10,000 hours. If you spend so much time over so many years, right. you'll be an expert in that field. It's like, so how far do you drive to work? Like me, now I'm working from home. Oh, okay. But Sorry, yeah. my my typical commute for the last decade plus has been 45 minutes to an hour. So if you that's, say, that's one way. So if you say just one of the ways, you go 45 minutes and you're listening, not even watching the YouTube video, just like you have it on the phone and you pull it up and you're listening to that lecture in the college course and you're doing that five days a week, you're probably actually getting more 
from those videos than if you were taking a college course. I like can one say day that week. with 1000% certainty is I've been listening to audios in my car, mm-hmm. whether it be on CDs because I'm old or on now MP3s on my phone or streaming or doing whatever. Yeah. It's like I have been listening to stuff in my car, whether it be podcasts or uh, talks from authors, audiobooks, um, lectures for college, you name it. Mm-hmm. It's like I've been listening to that stuff for almost two decades. And that's almost, for me, it was almost two to two and a half, sometimes three hours a day. Yeah. That I'd be learning. And I learned way more driving in my car, mm-hmm. the university on wheels, than I ever did in school. So, I mean, I, we talked about this, I think, like on the first podcast that I did with you is like when I did my internship, all of a sudden it was an opportunity to actually learn. Yes. Because there was all this theory that happened from the classes in the labs that I was taking, but there was no real hands on ability or chance to use it. And to see, well, how do you learn to actually use it? You, like I've now learned what it is. I don't, I don't know how to do it. So I get put in this internship, and I'm working with athletes. And like every single day that I show up, like the boss is just like, no, you, like you need to do this, this, and this. And it became my job to figure out, well, how does that translate from the education portion or the classroom over? That was where the real learning happened. That's why I get excited when you talk about the you know the work study thing where it's like work for a semester, you know, class for a semester. Yeah, but not to mention again with that it's it's practical knowledge. Yeah. It's not just theoretical bullshit from people who've never actually done the work. And when how many times when you go to apply for something they're like we want you to have 3 years of experience. Yeah. Well, how am I supposed to get experience if I don't have any? Right. Like, somebody's got to take a chance on me. But if you're coming out of college, yeah. or whatever that, you know, setup is and you can say I've worked for uh four semesters at this point, doing jobs in this industry, in this field, even if you didn't go into working with the company that you were doing the semesters with, you could say, you know, I've been doing this for the past four years. Yeah. You know, one semester every single year for the past four years, is that enough experience for you to hire me on? That That's a game changer right there. It's huge. You know, I don't know what that setup would be like when you start looking at the different fields on like, what would your first semester be? What would you do? Maybe you're basically a janitor. You just sit there like a fly on the wall and watch. I don't know. But industries could really shape themselves around having this not free workforce necessarily, but alternative workforce. No, it's it's not free at all because you're working to pay off the student loans before you get there. I just mean like the selection of it. Like you have this guaranteed workforce of students who like you're going to be bringing on if you have this relationship with the university or with the college, but not freeing the like. Oh, I, I, the no, I, see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, that could like just completely revolutionize. Which uh, that shouldn't even be the word used for it because if it was already happening before in the past, then this isn't really a new thing at all. It's just bringing back something that you know worked previously. Yeah, but no, I really like that idea. Yeah, but the colleges don't care because they're already making money hand over fist, and that's their job. They're a business. Yeah, their, it's their job yeah, to make money, not to put useful people out in the workforce. They don't care about that. They just want their money. Side bonus if they do. I'm not even sure they care about that. I mean, perhaps I'm just jaded, but that if that if that's the case, then fine. But mo- I don't think colleges give a shit. I think all they care about is their bottom line and the money because they're raising tuition and sp- having to spend $500 on these stupid books that are just recovered every year. Like They're not in it to help people. They're in it to make money. When you buy the book that costs $290 and you go to sell it at the end of the semester and you're only going to get like 50 for it, 
that alone should tell you that there is a yeah. massive yeah. issue. They're not in this to do good for those students. That's not what they care about. Hmm. That that part really bothers me. Um, you know what I get excited about, though, is kind of like you were saying with the YouTube, the amount of education that's now online that yeah. people can do. Yeah, not for to, free. Yeah, for free. Uh, now, some of it you pay for, like Masterclass. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's amazing. They're like, hey, we're going to take someone who is incredible in their field. We're going to sit them down. And we're going to say, why are you good at what you do? Will you talk about these things? And you can just sit there and learn from someone that in any other situation you would never have that conversation with in all kinds of different fields. That's amazing to me. Yeah, but that's what books are. Like no. Most people, like they take all their successes and life experiences and those kind of things and they put them in books yep. yeah and nowadays like you can even get them on audiobooks and just listen to them while you're doing your regular things right mowing the yard uh going for a walk driving to campus or work or you know the gym or whatever mm. it doesn't matter like there's there's plenty of time to be learning and doing stuff but what do most people do like they just waste their time oh yeah i remember the moment i was in my car and again i know like this is almost like a greatest hits podcast with us <laughs> like we're talking about things we've talked about before um, yeah, but some people have, may never heard those ones before, true. and there may be new people listening now that yeah. are just are just getting to hear this for the first time. There was a moment in the car where I was like, I, I felt so restless and just sick of listening to music. Like, I don't want the radio on. I don't want to listen to music because at the time I was driving like an hour to work as well, like one way. I was like, I need to use this time for something more because I found myself not being able to catch up on all the things throughout the day that I need to do. Well, here's two hours. I was like, what can I do with this time? And I was started reaching out to people asking, like, do you have recommendations for audiobooks? And I got, you know, a handful of good ones. I got a bunch of bad ones and um, just like random things from people. But that began the search that later turned into podcasts, YouTube videos, um, audiobooks, like a lot through Audible, like gradually just building up a library through that one. Uh, but it was that same thing where, give myself like an hour or two and then that grew into where I was like doing my entire morning listening to podcasts just like hit play and it was always in the background and you would just go through like just dozens and dozens of episodes over the course of months go on something and I didn't realize how much I was learning yes until a situation came up and I was like well I listened to this one episode and I was like oh my god I had this like <laughs> I can recall this holy shit yeah. It's like I have this encyclopedia of information, like not to make it too grandiose, but like I have all this information in my head that suddenly, because there's, you know, it's somewhat varied on what I listen to, there were tons of opportunities to help people with it. It could be, the, you know, any random conversation, be like, well, I listened to this one interview and they talked about this. Maybe you could look into that and like talk into this. And honestly, that is part of what ins helped to inspire the idea of like doing consulting work with recovery is well it's really just it's just handing off information you know it's taking the person's needs figuring out what do i know that might help them what do i know that has helped me and creating it and shaping it in a way that you know would best fit them and the more i know well the more i can help well how have i been able to learn and know more well i'm watching videos you know using things like masterclass and youtube and audible and podcasts and just like like you said like someone does with a book they take their life experience and they just condense it down into words. Yeah, something you could read in a week. Right. You like, can get their entire life experience taught to you the best they could in a week. Mm -hmm. And there's so many bad ones. 
But there's so many. Good well, ones. that's that's the problem with like anything. It's was what's uh, what's the law of the internet? It's there's like a specific name, but like ninety percent of everything is garbage. Hmm. You got to find the ten percent that's actually good. You got to sift through all the bullshit. Oh, okay. To find the good things. I thought you were gonna say the fifty percent one, where it's like half of everything you know is bullshit and half of everything is real. It, life is figuring out which is which. <laughs> I thought I heard that one. <laughs> it makes sense yeah. though. Like that comes back to the compounding ignorance thing. Like you don't know what you what you don't know, and some of the stuff you do know you forgot, and then mm-hmm. some of those other things are misinterpreted. And like there's like there's like a whole thing you can go down the line. But compared to the times that you you do know what you don't know, and like that's just daunting. It's like oh shit, there's this mountain of information that I don't <laughs> understand, and I'm supposed to. It's like Whoa. all right, well let's let's make a pivot here. I okay, think, I think that's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's always so funny. Like, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Let's figure some stuff out. We have we have one idea to talk about. We'll start talking about that now. But <laughs> we've also got, <laughs> you know, uh, an hour and 20 minutes here of just, well, here we go. This is what happens when we get together, which is why I love our conversations. I love them. We need to do this way more often. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we had talked about uh, this past week and we, we had gotten together. Uh, but what are we going to talk about the podcast? I was like, well, let, let's talk about competing. Mm-hmm. And competing is something that I've been struggling with recently. Uh, since I realistically, since I stopped uh, competitively weightlifting, uh, 2019 I think was my last uh, meet, and uh, what was so what were we three years past that now, and uh, it's like I really miss the competition aspect of it. Uh, not not so much just weightlifting, just competing in general, and it's like I've been struggling with that personally because it's like the other day I had to sit down and ask myself a very difficult question that I already knew the answer to, but I didn't want to ask the question because I was afraid of the answer. And I was like, what can I be the best in the world at? And for me, the answer was, well, nothing. And that's been frustrating because it's like, I've always tried to push myself and be the best athlete and competitor that I could, even though I fell very short of a lot of things that I've tried to do. But I'm struggling with it right now because I'm missing that competitive factor, that edge, yeah. and wanting to do more things that I can and realizing, hey, I'm 38 years old. Like, I'm almost 40. It's like my athletic days are kind of behind me at this point. But what can I still do to kind of stoke those flames and have myself and still enjoy doing certain things? And that's the problem that I'm having now is that, like, I've been really focused on jujitsu for the last couple of years. Mm. And I do want to compete in that just to kind of see what things are like and do that. But I don't want to necessarily do what I did with weightlifting and just focus on that and cut everything else out because I've done yeah. enough of that in my life. And I'm, I don't think I'm to that stage in my – I don't think that I can be a master's world champion in jiu-jitsu. I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. You know, I was like, do I want to compete a little bit and have some fun and see how I can do like a not, – not like a local stage but like a bigger stage, like a, like a regional kind of stage? Yeah, I, I like to see that. Do I see myself going to Worlds one day? Maybe. We'll see. Um, but I don't know if I want to dedicate myself to be like, okay, well, I want to be a world champion. Let's go. Yeah. Because that's what I do with weightlifting. I was like, I'm never going to be able to compete as a senior from the 21 to 34 or whatever it is, like where everybody competes for the Olympics. But I, I was like, I want to compete as a master and be the best that I can. And I had a goal that I felt very short of is I wanted to be um, a master's world champion or at least on the podium uh, at a master's worlds and obviously i fell very short of that as i never qualified for worlds uh, due to mostly injuries and problems with training and all that kind of stuff but that's okay because like we had talked about before 
I literally gave it everything that I had and I just didn't make it. And that's fine because I can live with that. Yeah. And I can look back and say, hey, I literally gave it everything I had and I just fell short. And that's fine. That I can live with. It's the not trying that I didn't want to hit. But now it's like, what do I do? Because I love playing sports. I love doing different activities. Mm-hmm. But with jujitsu, it takes up so much of my time that I don't have the time to focus on anything to be world-class at it. Not to mention, I don't think there's anything at this point that I can still be world-class at and actually compete. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling at this point. No, uh, it does. I just, different questions are kind of figured out which one I want to go with first. But, yes. So, But anyway, like that's the part that I've right. been struggling with because like, I still want to compete. I want to be competitive, even though I realize now it's it's more just for the fun of it and going out there. But I also tend to get way too involved with things and get a little bit obsessed and because I, 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 I have a very addictive personality. And then when I get into stuff, I want to give it everything that I've got. But yeah. I have to realize, like, I can't do that. Now it just needs to be for fun, longevity, and those kind of things. And not just beat myself into the ground like I did when I was weightlifting. What do you look to get out of competition, like, in general? <sighs> That's an interesting question. I don't know that I really have an answer. Okay. But I... The, the only thing that I can get to is like when I'm competing, nothing else in the world matters. Like I, I can think back to when this epiphany kind of hit me, honestly, probably a year and a half, two years ago now. I was looking at, oh Christ, probably, probably closer to two years ago now. I was looking at pictures from my last meet. When I was at the Arnold trying to qualify for Masters Worlds, I had to hit a 250 total, which was 10 kilos under the best total I ever had in 2015 at the Arnold. And I'd fallen very short from that, from injuries and problems that I was having. Uh, that time I was having issues with my hip where I couldn't squat the, what I needed to squat. I was, I was barely even squatting for maintenance. I was certainly losing strength and I just didn't have the strength that I needed to put up the numbers that I would need to have to make that kind of total. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm going for it anyway. So we shot it up with some cortisone and I tried to push through the pain and do all that kind of stuff. And again, I just, I just didn't have the strength that I needed to have, have the lifts that I needed. So I, I, I bombed out. It was the first meet I've ever bombed out at. Every other meet I've always lifted above my expectations. Hmm. Um, and realistically I did. I mean, I almost had a snatch that was one under one kilo under my best ever. And I had no point. Like there's no reason for me to be doing that. That was just adrenaline and everything else in the moment. I mean, yeah. so realistically, I did better than I ever thought I would. Okay. You know, but I didn't hit the numbers that I needed to because, I, again, I didn't have the strength. But I can remember having to like look at those pictures a long time after because it took me a long time to process that. Mm-hmm. And like the pure pain and anguish on my face that from those pictures of dropping a weight from overhead, which was the lift that I needed in the clean and jerk, on my second attempt, I almost had it, but I just couldn't get under it quickly enough because it was going forward, I was going to run off the platform. I was going to miss the lift. So I, was like, I had to drop it. And the pain and anguish on my face is like, that's what I miss. It's like that raw emotion. I was, okay. like, I was like, I only get that when I compete. Because again, in that moment, nothing else in the world mattered. I wasn't thinking about work. I wasn't thinking about stress, like in my personal life or with friends or uh, anything else, money. I wasn't thinking about anything but just competing and being present in that moment. And I think that's the one thing I guess that I could boil it down to is just, you know, like having everything kind of melt away and just being in the moment. And I try to live my life that way, but obviously we know that doesn't always happen, no. right? Because it's, it's so tough to 
put everything else away. My mind always is wandering on certain things. And it's, it's tough to get that all gone. But just having that raw emotion, I think, is, is what I miss the most because, like, again, nothing else mattered. It was only in that moment. It was just make the next lift. That's all that mattered. So does that raw emotion come from competing in something that you love to do? I don't or know. Or just competing like, in general. I think it's just competing in general because okay. I, I compete in everything. I don't care if we're, if we're throwing darts, if we're taking out the trash. Like, like I am like ultra competitive. <laughs> and it's, it's to a fault. It really is okay. an issue. And I've gotten better as I've gotten older. But like when I was in my 20s, especially, like I had to win at everything. I had to win at everything. And if I didn't, I was pissed. And like it would ruin my day or night or week or whatever. Like if I didn't win. Now, would it that was, be your fault or their fault? No, no, no. It was certainly my fault. Okay. I was just curious. It was certainly my fault. It was my own ego getting in the way. Okay. I didn't know if, like, you would blame yourself or you'd, like, blame the other person. No, 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 no. It was, it was certainly only me. Okay. But it's like, but I, it, I just, I was so competitive that I had to win. Because I was just wondering, like, you say, you know, finding something that you could be world class in at this point, if it, we made a list of a hundred things that... And you went through and was like, no, 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 no. And you found two of them that you technically could. But you're like, I don't give a shit about those. Would you do them? I'm not even sure that I technically could, though. That's the thing. It's like, I think oh. I've always tried to do things that I was, like, well-suited for. Except for weightlifting, obviously. I'm, I'm too tall for weightlifting. But I, I just... I you're fell, pretty tall for weightlifting. I fell in... No, way too tall. But I fell in love with it and I liked it. So yeah. I... But it was also a way for me to be an athlete again. But that was my excuse of, like, okay, well, I can't play football anymore. You know, I'm... I'm too old and beat up. It is what it is. I can't compete with those guys anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I mean, realistically, I probably would never even made it in college. That's one of my big regrets in life is not seeing if I could have made it into a small D1 school. Mm-hmm. And I probably could have played for some small D2 or D3 school because they just need people. Yeah. You know, I was athletic enough for sure, but I would have liked to see if I could have made it into college. I certainly never would have made it past that level. It's just... There's just no, those guys are fucking freaks. Like, there's no way I was going past that. Yeah. But it's like, to me, it's like, I want to see the highest level that I can personally compete at. It's not necessarily comparing myself to others. Like, it's realizing, that, hey, there's there's levels to this shit. Yeah. And I'm only so good. And that is what it is. And I'm okay with that. It's, to, again, with, again, with the masters, with weightlifting, it's like, I'm never going to compete as a senior. Those guys snatch what I deadlift. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, wow. ne- I'm never going to keep up with them. It's just, it is what it is. And I'm fine with that. It's what's the highest level that I can compete at. That's, that's what I look at it as. But it's like, there's a great example is like disc golf. Okay. Like I love disc golf. It's fun to play. I got into it years ago through uh, friends at work, my old office. And it's like, I enjoy it and it's fun. But it's like, I look at that and it's like, how could I be the best in the world? Well, I can't. Those guys are super good. They've all been touring forever. I'm just like, I'm just going to bump on the scene and, and be, you know, like be able to go and travel and do that for a living. Like it's, it's not going to happen. Like that's just, it is what it is. And again, I'm okay with that. So it's like, okay, well, could I compete as a master? Possibly. But then it's like, okay, then I'm going to have to sell my house. I have to quit my job. I'm going to have to dedicate my entire life to it. It's like, I'm at the point in my life where it's like, can I physically, you know, literally do that? And I think the answer is no. Like, I don't know that I could literally sell my house, quit my job, stop paying like on all the, the things that I have, like, you know, uh, you know, car payments, your mortgage, all that kind of stuff. And obviously up until, you know, what, two years ago, whatever it was, like I had child support to pay. Yeah. So it's like, I had fucking, I had responsibilities. Like I had to do that. Like mm-hmm. now obviously that's gone cause she's in college, but it's still, it's like, can I justify this? Like, is that a good 
decision long term to quit my job and sell my house and go try to make it as a touring pro as a master disc golfer to make maybe like you know ten thousand dollars a year in tournament winnings and that kind of stuff like that seems like a very irresponsible decision you know but it's like i I love it it'd be fun to go do but i don't think i can justify that if that makes sense the balance part that you talk about as far as like you enjoy uh jujitsu and you're enjoying disc golf and enjoying golfing in general yeah i've been getting back into that trying to learn and get better um Things like that where you enjoy it, but then asking yourself, like, could you be world-class at it? So if the answer is no, you can't be, like, is it worth putting like, all this time and energy? Yeah, because to, to be the best in the world, you have to dedicate your life to it. Right. It's just, it is what it is. And you, you can't do anything world-class at a, at a hobby level. You can't. No. Even freaks that, like, have this unbelievably natural, you know, you know God-given talent that's handed to them. Like, there's tons of work that goes into being the best in the world at it you don't just show up on game day no um i have no aspirations of being world class and anything that i participate in so i can't relate to that part but the idea of struggling on the competition side like makes perfect sense like i have for years wanted to get back into running uh masters track and field because once you're i think 30 you can be in the masters division Oh, i think it's younger than that is it i think so the Masters okay. track and field, I think, is much younger than like your Masters weightlifting or jiu-jitsu okay. or other kind of other sports. Do they have other divisions I've, in there? Yeah, of course. But, I mean, I've competed in Masters track and field and stuff. And, I, I mean, I might have been 30 at the time, but I don't think you needed to be. Okay. I think it was anybody who was just like out of college. Oh, you could, okay. You could, technically, you could technically compete, but you might be competing in a division with like college athletes. Oh, okay. Because they might be in the same age range or whatever. Yeah, my bad. But I think almost anybody can participate. But then there's like there's obviously age brackets to make it much more fair. Okay. Okay. I my bad. No, no, no. It's, yeah. it's not that at all. It's just yeah. most people don't realize that. Well, I also didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to do that for a long time. But I told myself, well, I'm doing gymnastics. I can't do both. And I don't know why I had this epiphany the other day. Um, but just thinking. Well, when you were in high school, you had seasons. You ran cross country and you had track. And if you did anything else, like it just, it happened during its season and you did it for that. And everything kind of just like blended together. If you were well balanced, yeah. yes. Some people would only focus on one thing, but they, they would get burnt out and usually quit before they actually got good. We had a lot of soccer guys yeah. who had that happen. Baseball, yep. football, it happens everywhere. I see that. Because like, I think that kids need to be well-rounded. Yep. And they should be playing different sports. And they should be having fun. You know, if they're going to make it to college, they're going to make it to college. They're not going to make it to college because they put in so much time. Some people are just genetically gifted, and they're going to put in a little bit less time and still make it. But they're also going to be better off because they're well-rounded. That's way more important than spending 100,000 hours on these things. If you're not talented enough to get there, you're not going to get there. What's the old saying? Like, cream rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Like the best ones are going to make it to the top. Like it is what it is. We're going to find those kids, yeah. whether they put in, you know, 20,000 hours or 200,000 hours. Like if you're not talented enough to get there, you're not going to get there. With, uh, Dan Bell of River City Weightlifting, I remember hearing him one time. He's like, hard work beats talent until talent works hard. Yes. And then you just get smoked. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, no, I agree with you. It's like if you're naturally gifted and you have this well-rounded aspect from a physiologist standpoint, I would love for kids to be more well-rounded. Yes. Um, Every college coach, 
every Olympic coach, everybody who works with, you know, kids of some kind of high level, whether it be teenagers, college, high school, elementary, whatever, like all of them say they need to be well-rounded when they're kids. Like the injury prevention aspect of it by itself is a good enough argument to have people be more well-rounded when they're children, like playing all kinds of different sports. Um, the body awareness for skill acquisition. Oh, That's yes. another great Oh, one. yeah. Like have them go do gymnastics recreationally for a couple of years. I mean, aside from the fact that most schools don't even have, you know, PE anymore or recess. Which is sad. Yeah. Kids need to be doing that stuff. It's like, important. That play aspect, that socializing aspect is, you know, really important. The physicality of it is super important. Learning just like in small, safe doses about competition. Like, what does it mean to actually lose? What does it mean to win? Like, how do you do both graciously? Kind of thing. Like, all that happens. And people, like, totally dismiss that. And it's like, oh, it's just recess. They're blowing off energy. It's like, yeah, they are. And all these other things. Yeah, and guess what? That's going to help them be more productive in their day of learning. Right. Because like, now know, they're not fidgety and going crazy. You know how many books have been written talking about how being physical helps them to, like, sit and pay attention better afterward? As somebody who has, I mean, as I'm sitting here playing with a pencil, like, all kinds of physical energy, I am a perfect example of how doing things like running around, you know, in my case, like, just long distance running, is really, really helpful for attention span. And therefore, my ability to be in certain social situations or to get a better education. Yes. It's like, not to make it a bigger thing than that space. It's like, no, recess is really fucking important. Anyway, that part aside. Um, God, where were we? That was <laughs> such a good tangent, too. Uh, no, where were we? Well, basically, I was talking about wanting to be like the best in the world at something. You were saying you couldn't really comprehend oh, the, that idea. The world class part. Like, I, I don't have You were talking about different seasons that. of what right. you're doing. Like, why... Do I have it in my head that I only get to do one sport? Well, because I tell myself I want to be as good as I can. And that same thing where you're like, you have to dedicate everything to it. And to a lower level, because I, I didn't have my sights set on anything really, you know, to that extent as far as accomplishment. But I still told myself, like, if I'm going to be as good as I want to be or could possibly be with gymnastics, like, you can't do other things. Well, then I had, you know, things happen with COVID and life and whatnot, and I was away from gymnastics for, like, the past year. And randomly, the diving coach at Akron, I'm at a swim meet up there. I'm sitting next to him watching one of the races, and he's like, we should get you diving. I was like, ha, that's funny. He goes, no, really, come on in. It'd be fun. And he was half joking about it because I would, you know, I would help them out with my gymnastics background. I would help them out with, like, some workouts and stuff and stretches and whatnot, the divers. And so... I came in one time and he started taking me through some, some things and it's fun. I mean, it's very gymnastics esque. So there's a, you know, a pretty easy learning curve yeah. that went along with a it. A lot of things are obviously going to be very similar to things you've done before. So you're going to be very aware of what you're doing. Just changing the element of it. Yeah. We go down to the training trip to Florida and the head diet or head swim coach says, I'm allowed to go practice with the divers while we're in Florida. And all of a sudden, like, Athlete Dane comes out, and I get to learn new things, and I'm uh, trying new things, failing. Uh, failing a lot, but yeah. that's important to learn. And it was amazing to learn something new that was similar to what I had been doing with gymnastics, and it ended up filling, like, all these different voids where, you know, the learning aspect is massive. Like, 
just giving yourself over to the learning process is another one where you're just like, I'm going to give everything, all of my attention and all of my time and all my energy is just this right now. Like you said, nothing else matters in that moment. But also, since I hadn't been doing gymnastics and it kind of, you know, helped soothe some of those pains of having to be away from it for so long, it was incredibly cathartic in that way. And just realizing like, I don't know that I would want to compete with diving, but I don't, from now on, I don't want to step away from it either. Like I want that as part of my training. Oh crap. Now I've got. Now, now is that maybe just because it's fun and new and exciting or is it just because it's. Not so much new and exciting. Like that part. Yes, it is new and exciting. I think that it forces me to learn things that I mentally created blocks for. Okay. Or barriers to within gymnastics. Like I'm, I'm scared to go backwards because I've had a couple accidents where I land on my head and like injured my neck. So gymnastics wise, gymnastics wise. Yeah. And so I had these mental blocks on going backwards that I've worked on, but like is you haven't broke through them. Haven't broke through them. And then here I am doing those same things, even or things that I would have said are even scarier on diving after only doing it for a couple of weeks and just thinking, what the hell is going on? Like it's, it's, it's in there. The ability to do it is in there. And for some reason, when I'm on the board, I'm willing to do it. Now, there are things I'm not willing to do there because I don't know them yet that I am willing to do within gymnastics. And between the two of them, all of a sudden, I'm relearning how to do things correctly that I wasn't having an opportunity to when it was just gymnastics by itself. So here's this learning opportunity that is also fun and new and exciting, It's but it's mentally stimulating that creates the bridge to gymnastics in multiple ways well then i tell myself well i also kind of want to do track and get back to that and that's more of a summer activity when it's you know outside of school and then i start doing a little bit of weightlifting work with dan bell and like i really enjoy this i don't know that i don't think i'd ever want to be competitive with it but i want to keep this i want to keep learning from him like one he's a great coach to work with, like everybody should find a coach. He's that, he's one of the top coaches yeah. in the country. He gets mad when I say that, but um, every time every time he he gets mad, I'm like, hey Dan, he's worse at taking many, a compliment than I am. Hey Dan, how many coaches are better than you in the country? And he's like, oh, this person, this person, this person, this person, that person, this person. I'm like, so yeah, six. That's about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you're you're top ten in the country. Well, yeah, probably. Like, well, yeah, no shit. Out of the thousands, right? That there are, so he totally dismisses himself. <laughs> But working with him, getting and the other thing about it is that both with diving and with weightlifting, I get to be around a team. Yes, and that team atmosphere is so oh huge. Oh, my God. Having, huge. Having a coach and getting to be around a team, those two things alone would be a good enough reason to not step away. Because I never got to experience that. I also, like, I didn't do a collegiate sport. Um, I was in gymnastics in college, but it was as a club. So I, it's it's automatically different. Yeah, like you're only as it's basically like an individual hobbyist. Right, you're, you're there like I going very, with other people, yeah. but you're not on really the same team. I was dedicated, but there's no mandatory dedication. Yeah, with in the way that like, hey, your scholarship's on the line, you better perform. Yeah, kind of thing. And there's like the team goal of wanting to win the championship and right. all those kind of things. Like th- those really pull people in, right. and make like a unity that you just. You, you can't describe it unless you've felt it. Right. And 
there was a little bit of that at in Florida with the diving. All of a sudden, there's a couple of the Akron divers who like they started to cheer for me, or I did something well. And it's you know it's fucking basic. It's like the easiest things in the world compared to what they're doing. Yeah. But I did it, and I come out and like they clapped. I was like, holy shit. Like, I have people who actually care about whether or not I learned yeah, and they want to see your progression. Right. They're excited for you. That is exciting. That's motivating. Yeah. That team know? atmosphere is just so, so powerful. And so for me, figuring out that balance of, okay, here are these four things. How do I get all of those, you know, to a, a healthy balance and incorporate them? But still scratch that itch of competition. I, yeah. I don't have a good answer for it. Well, that's the thing is I don't know if there really is an actual answer. That, yeah. That's the problem. And the, the one problem that I have is that I try to be, you know, like the best that I can be. And I try to hold myself to a higher standard than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Was I just, what I probably need to do is realize, hey, I'm old. Like I need to just focus on having fun. Like having like having sports is a longevity thing. That's why one of the reasons why I'm getting back into golf. Mm-hmm. There's something I can continue to do um, as high as I want to compete in it for as long as I possibly can. Right? I mean, you see guys in their 60s and 70s out there still playing. It's like mm-hmm. good for you. I'm like, yeah, like they don't have the mobility anymore. They can't hit the ball very far anymore. But so what? They're still out there and enjoying it yeah. and having a good time. And it's a fucking frustrating sport. It is so challenging. Yeah. Granted. Is it really a sport? I kind of have that rule of like, if you can smoke and drink while doing it, is it really a sport <laughs> or is it just an activity? I don't know. That, that's my own personal thought. It's like, if you can drink and smoke while doing it, it's probably not a sport. Like, I couldn't imagine drinking and smoking while doing weightlifting or playing football or doing anything else, but nonetheless, some people still do. I get it, but not my thing. I don't know. I've seen people take shots in between powerlifting. Um that's more to calm their nerves. The competition, yeah. That's more to calm their nerves and keep their yeah. mind off of things because they, they don't compete well. Or but. at the end of it, immediately, like, chugging a beer or something. Like, well, oh. that's that's a reward. That's fine. But yeah. <laughs> that's afterwards. Slide that in there a yeah. little bit. No, no, no. I get it. But, like, that, that's one thing that I know that I personally need to work on is just realizing, hey, now, like, you're in the later stages of life. It's just about staying mobile, staying active, having fun. But I'm not there. Like, my competitive edge still wants to do that. But I also put myself too thin. You know, it's like I used, mm-hmm. to, I used to play so- slow-pitch softball since I was like 15. Took a handful of years off in the middle just because I got so frustrated with people not taking it seriously. They would just want to show up and play instead of like get there and work and practice and get better and those kind of things. It drove me nuts. You know, I'm like, you need to put in some effort. Like, no, I'm good. Like, no, you fucking suck. Like, come out and work with us. We'll make you better. Like, come on. Like, you yeah. can do this. But they don't want to put in the work. And I can't make them. So I, I got so frustrated I quit. And I started playing again with guys who were actually serious and – uh, they were way better in their prime than I was ever going to be. And they were probably still better than I was, you know, like they were probably better in their later years than I was probably in my prime. Realistically, they were really okay. good. It was fun to play with them. Like I was like one of the worst people on the team and that made me happy. Like I liked that. That was fun, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody's you know kicking ass and taking names. It was great. And uh, but like I had fun doing that. But like I quit a couple of years ago because, again, I remember playing when I was like in my like uh, 15, 16, 17, and we were playing with a bunch of old guys on our team who were essentially there because they were past their prime. They couldn't play with the competitive guys anymore. And it was kind of their job to teach us, the kids, how to play the game, how to how to work and stuff and kind of learn everything, right? They were, okay. they, they were there to be mentors and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I don't ever want to be there. Like they're to the point where they probably shouldn't play anymore, but they're still playing. And it's like okay. they're almost detrimental to the team because they can't do the things they used to do, but they're still wanting to be out there. And it's like, I don't ever want to get there. Like, I'd rather quit 
when people still want me to be there, then be be past like what I need to be to the be on, to be on the field, right? And then maybe that's me just my ego having a problem being too competitive and not just being out there for fun or whatever. I get it. But so it's like I quit doing that. And it's like I used to play a bunch of pickleball and I was like pretty good at it. It's a simple game. It's pretty easy to be good at. Mm-hmm. But it's like I, I don't really play anymore because I, I don't have the time. I'm, I'd rather focus on jujitsu. I'm not going to take time out of class to go you know, hit, hit the pickleball around. I'm just I'm not going to go do that. But it's it's still fun. I miss playing. It's a yeah. good time. You know, like and then there's like the golf. Want to get more into golf, and that's been super frustrating. Are you Is still you, doing volleyball? Uh, I, I I quit a couple of years ago. I'd love to find a team to get onto. Yeah. But with the problem I've had with my Achilles yeah. and my knee and everything else, I'm not sure if it's worth the hassle because okay. it gets very painful with all the jumping and moving and yeah, everything yeah. else. I do, I do miss playing. It's fun. Um, but again, I can't really play in the competitive stage that I want to. I want to learn yeah. and get better and, and do all that kind of stuff. Um, I still wouldn't mind playing from time to time. If, like if I was subbing in for a friend or whatever, that'd be a good time. But I don't, I don't really play anymore because, again, I don't want to take time off in jiu-jitsu to go do that. If I could find like a league that would work around my schedule, I could see myself getting back into a league again. That'd be fun, but I don't do that anymore. You know, I was like, what, what else? Like I, I ride my mountain bike. I try to make time for that. Mm-hmm. That's been very therapeutic, you know, because again, when you're flowing down the hill and there's trees on either side, it's like, there's serious consequences if you fuck up. So you better be focused. Yeah, and that, I kind of find that as my meditation. That therapeutic flow state. Yeah. It's abso- a real thing. Absolutely. I found myself wanting, because again, I spend a lot of time indoors, whether it be at work or at the gym. So that's a good time to be outside and be in nature. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to just be out there and sit and go for a walk. That's not my thing. That's one right. of the reasons why I love disc golf. Like you're basically going through a walk in the woods or a park, but you have something to do while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. There's an activity involved, but you're still out there walking and, and enjoying nature. I That's what I like about disc golf because like I've got friends that I'll go for walks with because we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah. And I'll enjoy that conversation yep. so it's enough for me to go, but I'm not going to do it by myself. That's just not my thing. Right. You know, but – to go play disc golf, I'll go do that by myself because I've got an activity to do. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the mountain biking. I find that to be great to go share with friends and we'll go ride for a couple of miles and then we'll sit off to the side and crack open a beer and you know have a great conversation and bullshit and just be outside. Yeah. Put your feet in the grass. Like That's great. I found that that's to be very beneficial as I've gotten older. So that's fun. Like what else do I do? Like I just, I just, I've got too many things. Like I just, I'm trying to do all of this stuff. I'm trying to do it all at the highest level that I can, even though I know that I can't dedicate the time, but nor do I want to give up everything else to just focus on those things at this point, because that's what I did with weightlifting. I pretty much gave up almost everything Mm -hmm. to focus on weightlifting because I was trying to be the best in the world as a master, and I fell very short of that, but I spent, what, six, seven years trying to do that? And it's like, is that time well spent? I don't know. I, I don't really have an answer for that. So the examples you've been giving are largely, I would say exclusively, but I can't recall every single one of them, uh, physical. When you think of competition, do you think of physical competition? Yes, I think I think of sports. Okay. So I'm just saying like something I, like I've, I've played sports like all my life. It's something I've been very good at. I enjoy doing it. And like that, that's what I think of when I think of competition. I don't think of like um, – intellectual things like that like chess okay. or speech and debate or anything like that i don't think of those things as competition Dude, you'd be hell on wheels of speech and debate <laughs> i was on the speech and debate team uh for our ffa in high school i and I'm it was it was a lot of fun we, we, had, we had a great time it was uh, i enjoyed conversations yeah and that's that's the one thing i wish i would have done more in college because like we had a uh, so we had to take sociology or psychology is one of our deg- like um 
credits for a degree or whatever. And I, when in, in college, I only took what was necessary, you know, cause I wanted to get in and out of there fast. That was the idea. It's like, yeah. I, had, I had a family at home. Like I had to take care of, I was three hours away in college. It's like, I got to hustle and get this stuff done. I wish I would have taken some more classes of things that I was interested in to actually learn because again, my complete degree was a complete fucking waste of time and money. But when I took sociology, I had such a good time in that class because all we did was have conversations and debates and talk about philosophies and ideas and thoughts and everything. And it was a fucking blast. Like I got like a C in the class because like I, I didn't yeah. test very well for it because I didn't study as much as I should have. I get it. But I had so much fun in class learning and debating and having talks. So that was, mm -hmm. I wish I would have taken more of that kind of stuff. But yes, I did some of that in high school because it was just, it was fun. It was a good time. And, like our teachers, like we need people. Like, well, I'll fucking do it. I don't care, you know. And it's as long as it doesn't interfere with sports, because I was always playing sports. But it was usually in the winter time, and I wasn't playing basketball anymore. Yeah, I was just doing uh, practice for um, track and field. I was mostly doing shot put inside and doing footwork drills for discus. Okay, and just obviously strength training, but didn't do as much of that as I should have. If I'd had somebody like Dan Bell teach me when I was in high school, I'd have been a fucking monster. You know, but nonetheless, you don't know what you don't know at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's what I see as competition, even though I've done those kind of things and competed in them technically, but I don't really see that as competition, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's just physically, mostly sports. I was just curious about that one. So how high would you feel you need to get to in order to justify the participation? Because so like right now, like you compete, well, I shouldn't say justify, to feel fulfilled by the competitive level of it. I don't know. That's the thing is I don't have an answer for that because I've not done any kind of competition in a long time. Yeah. Because like you've said that you wouldn't mind competing with, you know, jiu-jitsu. Yes, but it's not something I want to truly focus on and make it my only passion. Because I mean, to be, a, I mean, to, to realistically, to be like a master's world champ, you're, mm -hmm. you're realistically going to have to do tons and tons of tournaments, travel all over the country because like, we're in Northeast Ohio. Like, there's no IBJJ because that's the biggest governing body of jujitsu. Okay, it's like to to go to I, IBJJF events. I went to like go to Indianapolis, to Chicago, to to DC, to Texas, to to California, to to Vegas. Like, those are the competitions, and those are every couple of months. And it's like I'd have to literally like take time off of work, fly out there, do the competitions, come back, take coach with me, like do all those kind of things. It's like I can't dedicate that i, I can't do yeah. that at this stage of my life and i'm i'm almost fucking 40 like get the fuck out of here like what are the stages so there's like world class is there a national with um, i mean with i guess i guess there's nationals yeah but most of it's on a world stage because okay. jujitsu was obviously kind of well brazilian jujitsu was kind of created in uh brazil and then obviously uh, it came from Japanese jiu-jitsu from Japan. Mm -hmm. It was kind of modified, whereas Japanese jiu-jitsu is a mix between grappling and judo. Okay. But there's much more throws and standing and all that kind of stuff in Japanese jiu-jitsu, whereas Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's almost predominantly grappling. Mm -hmm. So it's all done on the ground. Yeah, they start on their feet and there's some takedowns, sure, but most people you know, aren't really good at wrestling part of that, like taking other people down or judo, throwing people down. They're mostly going to grab a hold of people and just go to the ground and either sweep them and come on top or uh, finish them from the bottom. So it's much more just grappling. But because of that, it's not like it's an American thing. It's, it's, it's very much a worldwide thing. Okay. So there's, so there's regional events, like I said, like Chicago, Indianapolis, DC, like 
the Texas trying to make them like big metropolis areas to pull people into. Mm-hmm. There's also like uh, regional events like Pan Ams, that kind of stuff. Like there's like European events and those kind of things. And then there's obviously like the worlds, which I think is I think regular worlds, like adult worlds. I don't think it's senior. I forget what they call them in jiu-jitsu. It doesn't matter. Um, that I think is in California. And then Masters Worlds, I think, is in Vegas. So, like, th- those are the, the differences. But it's, it's the same kind of thing as, like, in weightlifting. Do you have but to, like, qualify as you're going up? It depends on the belt. If you're a black okay. belt, then yes. Okay. But the other belts, they kind of let you just sign up and go because people are always fluctuating in and out of those. Because you might go to a tournament as a, as a brown belt this time and then get promoted. So, now you're a black belt. And if you want to go back as a black belt, you have to qualify by doing enough, uh, like, regional events or district events to be able to get enough points to go to Worlds. Okay. Because I was just wondering, like, let's say you went and remind me what uh, your blue belt. I'm a blue belt okay. in the ultra heavyweight division. If you went to a regional competition, let's say Chicago. Yeah. And you won. Would that scratch the itch? Do you I think. I, I don't know. Because again, like in those kind of competitions, it all just depends on who shows up on the day. Okay. Because you could just have local people show up. You could have nobody show up. You could, I could essentially show up and win because nobody else showed up. That's or, I, or there can only be two people and I got silver because I lost, got my ass beat. But I'm second. Hey, look at me. I'm the first loser. I'm second <laughs> out of two. Yay. I got first and la- second and last place. <laughs> you know, so like there's some of that as well. So it yeah. just depends on who shows up. But Worlds is like obviously like one of the biggest things you can do because everybody who's good is going to try to go. But as Masters... It's not their job. It's still just a hobby. Right. So it's, it still just depends on who shows up. But it also depends on the matchups that you get because it's all just a random draw. So you just never know. But, but so like to, to answer the question specifically, it's like if I go to Chicago and win, is it uh, – like say I go next spring as, a, as an ultra heavyweight blue belt, which is what if the earliest I'd be thinking of competing – because of my MCL tear and got to build up st- stability around my knee and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not worth an injury to go rush into a competition at the moment because you can get into some weird positions where it's not your training partners and they don't care about you. Right. So they'll, they'll break your shit. They don't care. They'll, they'll break your arms. They'll rip your legs apart. They don't care. Like, like when they get chokes, they're going to choke your face. They could break your jaw. They don't care. Like they're there to win, which I yeah. understand it's competition. I get it. You know, but in Masters, obviously, there's a lot less of that because they're realizing, hey, we're all hobbyists. We're here. Let's not be a super douchebag. You know, we're not here to win at all costs. Right. right. We're here to, to win and have a good time. But we want to more just be competitive and, and see where we're at. So, like, would that scratch the itch if I like, went to Chicago Open and won? If I had, like, like four matches and beat, like, a bunch of guys, there was, like, a eight-man bracket? Like, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you that would be a great feeling. But, again, would I want to pursue that and, like, okay, well, now I'm going to quit everything else and focus only on this and just want to do I don't know if I want to be there do you think you'd have to like quit everything else to be a world champion oh no I mean the the regional uh I don't think I'm talented enough to win like a Chicago Open I don't think I'm that good but how Um, much would you have to sacrifice and I know I'm throwing out just like obscure questions kind of with it to realistically I'd have to stop playing golf stop riding my mountain bike well Mountain bike might be enough cardio that I could justify doing some of that as long as I'm careful and don't do anything stupid where I could get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, disc golf probably out because of risk of uh, elbow and shoulder injuries. Um, so I'd, I'd have to like either quit or cut back on the other activities that I want to do to focus more on 
jujitsu. So mm-hmm. like, like we had talked about before, like I need to start doing some more cardio yeah. outside of the gym to, to benefit myself in the gym. Realistically, I need to lose some weight and probably get back into lifting to be strong enough to handle the guys who are heavier than me, which doesn't normally happen because I'm a really big guy. Mm-hmm. But there's a guy in our gym who's a white belt who's, who is a wrestler and in high school, he's a truck driver now. And he's probably 40 pounds heavier than I am. He's shorter than I am. Oh, but he's wow. a fucking big dude. Like his arms like the size of my legs. Like he's a fucking big dude. And I can't do shit to him. I'm a blue, I'm a blue belt. I've been in there for two years. I should be kicking his ass. Yeah. But he, he just, he beefs me up and down the mat. Cause nothing, I can't take him down. You know, like and I, when I'm on the bottom, I can't move him because he's got such a base from wrestling. He's yeah. stronger than I am. He's bigger than I am. So it's like, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even though he's technically only been there for a few months, like he beats the brakes off of me. So it's like, gotcha. I need, realistically, I should probably lose weight, right? So that I would be faster and try to like, wear him out and run circles around him and try to out-cardio him okay. and try to out-strength him because I'm just not that strong. Take that strategy into it. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, realistically, I'd have to lose, like, 30 to 40 pounds and really focus on cardio outside of the gym and then, obviously, do a lot more rounds in the gym to get my cardio base up if I wanted to be competitive. See, that's a whole other aspect that goes into it where, you know, prior you'd been talking about, like, what are the things you have to give up? Or how would you have to rededicate your time? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I have a to part put of all that, that extra the, time in to into focus the nutrition, on, exactly. into the weight loss, into yep. the cart. Yeah. So that's another aspect that people have, would have to think about going into it. Um, yeah, but again, that's just to be competitive. I right. want to just go compete, like which which I think I want to do just to see what it feels like. Yeah. I could just you know train hard for a few weeks and make sure to ramp up the cardio the best that I can and go in there and do the best that I can. You know, because I've I mean last time we went to Chicago. We went to go train with my coach's instructor, Mark Vives, at Newbreed Training Center. Uh, he's he's uh, just, what, north? He's over by the airport, hmm. wherever that is. So that would be like northeast, no, northwest Chicago, somewhere around in there. And um, I forget, like like the Skokie area, I think, is like where he's at. So, something like that, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> so we, we went there, and we, we go to train with some of their guys to give our guys looks. Uh, outside of our gym is there's a bunch of really good competitors there. It's really good for our smaller guys because there's a bunch of like smaller people there. Okay. Whereas we only have a handful. Most of our guys are, you know, 180 or above, um, which in jujitsu is, is pretty big because like super heavyweight, I think it's like 230. Okay. And then anything over that is ultra, super giant fat ass like me. Um, <laughs> but I went there and I rolled with uh, a purple belt who asked me when we were done rolling. I was like, dude, do you compete? I'm like, no, I've never competed. Like, I mean, we roll hard at the gym. You know, we've got some really good competitors, mm-hmm. you know, but like I've never competed. Like I, I think I might want to a couple of times see what it's like, but I don't want to do a local thing. I'd rather do a bigger regional event where I know I'm going to see people in my weight class and my age group. Because what I don't want okay. to fight is like some 22-year-old wrestler who, who's, you know, is a new blue belt and is going to beat the brakes off. I don't I don't need that in my life. I don't need him picking <laughs> me up and dumping me on my head yeah. and then I can't walk for freaking six weeks. I'm good. Like I'd rather compete against people who are more – Evenly matched. <laughs> so, like, as Good a master, as a master, a, the bigger meat would be better for me because I'm going to see people in my age group and weight class. Um, so, so there's that. But like, he asked me, like, Purple Belt asked me if I compete. He's like, dude, you just compete. Like, you're you're good. You understand the positions. Like, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much that's just because I outweighed him by like 80 pounds, you know. And it's just because I was in good positions. I don't know. Who knows? I'm not sure. And there was another blue belt that I rolled with. Uh, and he was super talkative. Oh my god, he never shut up when we rolled. <laughs> I thought I was talking when we rolled because I tried to have fun. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, "Dude, you should compete." I'm like, "I'm thinking about it, maybe." But there's also the part of me that's afraid to. 
especially like well, we just sent a bunch of people. We sent eight or ten people. I, well, I think we eventually had ten competitors. And we hurt two people in training camp, but we sent uh, eight people, I think, and we brought back. No, 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 no. We sent ten people. We brought back eight medals. Oh, you know, wow. And okay. so from a small nothing gym in Northeast Ohio that nobody's ever fucking heard of. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. You know, not to mention, we also have a, a brown, brown belt, super heavyweight, Masters 1 world champion in our gym as well. He went out to Worlds and beat the brakes off those guys. Right. And it, they just, they didn't know what to do with him because he's not your typical big guy. He plays a lot of sophisticated guards that those guys didn't know what to do with. Once he pulled guard and was on the bottom and he swept them, you could see in their eyes. They had no idea what to do. Because oh, wow. they're used to being big and smashing on top. Mm-hmm. And when he was playing these guards on them, they'd never been in that position before because big guys don't normally play those kind of things. And he just he beat the brakes off. He, he's like, I had harder matches in our gym with blue belts. Oh, really? But wow. it's also because they fight every day and they know each other's games and it's a little different. Yeah. Right. Because when you're going against somebody you don't know, you don't know what they're going to do. Right. So if you can put them in a position they've never been in, you're going to win because they don't know what to do. So that's kind of what he did. So it's like we've got some good competitors in our gym, not to mention our coach, Shannon White, is a fucking badass. Like I've watched him go to Chicago multiple times now and roll with all of Mark's black belts who are good because they're mm-hmm. Mark Vivez's black belts. I mean, they're legit. Mark Vivez is obviously his instructor who's ranked, I think, first in the world in his weight class and age group. You know, and it's like he's just, he's a murderer. So it's like... <laughs> They're, they're his guys. Like, yeah. you know, they're no slouches. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I watched coach roll through them one after another round, no rounds off, just one after another, just over and just beat the brakes off of all of them. Good Cause Lord. he, and he's good. Yeah. Right. And he just can't compete anymore because of all the injuries he's had because he's stubborn. He doesn't want to heal things up. He keeps going until shit rips apart. That's yeah. not good. Um, uh, but it is what it is. Right. So it's like, we've got some good, you know, competition parts in the gym. Like that's, mm-hmm. that, that is what it is. So, if I was going to get ready, it's like, well, here, here, let me get back to what I was going to. It's like, I almost got scared off of the last time we sent people to Chicago Open because we started a four-week training camp to get these guys ready. It was mostly about conditioning. Because like at that point, we've learned all the techniques we're going to learn. Now it's mm-hmm. about getting you ready for, for matches because they're going to be difficult and you're going to have to go and go and go and go. Now, some of the guys only have like two or three people in their division. Some of them have eight or 12. Like it, it just depends on where you go in. So it's like, you need to be ready for possibly five or six matches. Okay. With us, us masters, maybe two or three is probably about the end of it. I doubt you're going to have four or five. It's possible, but I doubt it. Okay. It could happen. In the open divisions, absolutely, because everybody's in there, right? Um, but it's like that very first day of that competition training, I left fucking exhausted. And, oh, I have, okay. I, and I have plenty of break. I was off on the side taking breaks with the guys who were competing. We're out there doing matches going against each other, going against fresh people in the gym, getting shark tanked, like doing whatever coach was having them do to just push them, push them, push them, push them. Like they never had time off in the whole hour and a half class. And I had plenty of time off and I was exhausted. I'm like, I don't think I could make it the entire class out there like the competitors did. Like, I don't think I could do that. Like part of that's because I'm a big guy. I need more rest. I It requires more energy for me to move. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Part of it's because I'm older and I, I don't recover like a 22-year-old kid would. But part of that is the fact that I don't have the conditioning. That's just yeah. that's just the fact of it. And yeah. there, there was one day in class. It was, I think it was the second. I think it was the second week of the training camp. And I was drilling with our Matt, uh, Masters World Champ, uh, Ben. And, and, he, and he and I were drilling. 
And I literally felt like I was drowning. Like I could not breathe. Oh, wow. Because it was just go, 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 go. There was no yeah. rest. It was drill, 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 drill. And that's the idea. It's like, get your cardio up. We got to move. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And some of those are harder than rounds because in rounds, you can take breaks. You can get in positions. You can take a breather. You can relax for 20, 30 seconds and kind of catch your breath. Whereas yeah. these, you're just moving, moving, moving. There was plenty of times where I had to stop. And I, had to take, I had to take reps away from him because I couldn't breathe. And I had to like just try to slow my breathing. Just deep breaths in and out. Probably three or four to try to just calm my heart rate down. Mm-hmm. But I literally was in tears in class. Because I felt like I was drowning. I could not breathe. Wow. And it was like, holy fuck. Like, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could get ready for a competition like that. I need to sit down with coach and, and talk with him and kind of tell him how I was feeling, what was going on, and how kind of that scared me from wanting to compete. Because I don't know if I could last through one of his training sessions. Because he's always said, like, if you're going to go out and compete, you're representing this gym, you're going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And if you're not ready, I'm not going to let you compete. You're not going to go out there and embarrass us. It's not going to happen. We have a reputation to uphold. It's very important for that. And some of that is just like, hey, you need to be serious. If this is what you want to do, like this is no slouch because you could you could get your arm broken. You could get your face broken. You, you could get your knee torn apart. Like bad things could happen. Yeah. You need to be ready to go out there. But this is more of the, the mental toughness of pushing through when you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I get that. So I need to sit down and talk with him. And decide if that's something that I want to pursue or if just maybe that's not the cards for me. I don't know. But that's kind of where I'm at with jujitsu. Because like I said, that training camp, watching those guys go through is like, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> well, I know I couldn't right now in my physical state. Okay, yeah. But yeah. maybe if I push myself hard over the next six months outside of the gym, like we had talked about, yep. doing some extra cardio and some and some strength training. And well, at this point, more just rehab, prehab kind of movements. Not so much like wanting to get stronger. It's just... Uh, getting more stable in my legs and my shoulders and helping to prevent any kind of injuries that could happen. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you a question. When seven. Seven. Oh, shit. <laughs> and we're done. Good job. Um, when you think about the possibility that you might not ever compete at that level in any given activity, what does that feel like? Like the level that I want to compete at, like a yeah. world-class level? Because you said you thought about, is there anything that you could be world-class at? Yeah. And you had to try to come to terms with the idea that there... Yeah, the there's nothing, might, yeah. Nothing. So when you then take it one step further and think about what will it be like to not compete in that way and have that feeling, what does that feel like? That's the part that I'm struggling with. Okay. Because I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that my essentially athletic career is over. Mm-hmm. And like there's nothing that I can really be world-class at at this point in my life. It's just, it is what it is. I'm trying to accept that and then just look at what can I do to compete and have fun with and look for more like longevity and quality of my life without having to, again, like sell my house and sacrifice everything to go kind of do those things because that's not responsible in my opinion. Because like with weightlifting, I could never focus solely on weightlifting. Because I had child support to pay. I, I had bills to pay. Like, right. I, I got a mortgage to pay. It's like, I've got those responsibilities and that has to come first. So it's not like I could quit my job and take some bullshit work to go train two a days and do that kind of stuff. I can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. it was a hobby. It was after work. I was never getting paid for it. Even if I was world class, nobody cares as a master. You're not going to get money. Even if, even if you're an Olympic level, nobody cares. Like, all you get is the, the medal and the whatever money bonus you get from the U.S. government for being an Olympic champion. like, right. But it's bullshit. You can't make a living on that. 
you know, you can maybe do it through endorsements, maybe if you're marketable, maybe. but that's still a huge maybe. So it's like, what can I do to, to be world-class? Like the answer is probably nothing, but it's like, am I okay with that to just want to compete for fun and have a good time and just have some competition instead of having nothing? Are you that's, okay with that? I don't know. Okay. That, that's the part that I'm struggling with. Yeah. Cause like I went out and played golf with my buddies the other day and I'm teaching my friend Tyler how to play and it's new for him and it's, it's, it's good for me cause it's helping me get better at my game while I'm helping to teach him. Okay. Yeah. But it's also making me realize very quickly as I'm not good enough at this sport to be able to teach him how to be good. I'm, oh, okay. I, I know enough to get him in, interested in it to see if he wants to get into it. But that's as far as I can go. Like after this year, uh, he'll have to decide this is something I want to do. Yes. And I've got to either A, go get some real lessons, which is definitely what he should do. Mm-hmm. Or if I just want to get some clubs and go out and play and have fun and not worry about it. That, that's up to him. But I'm, I'm, I know enough to get him involved enough to say, okay, I like this or I don't. And I want to dedicate some time into it to get better. So like we're focused on that. So we went out and played with another friend of ours, Josh. And the three of us played a three-man scramble. So we're just playing the best ball all the way into the green. So that way if we hit it 10 feet over the right because we duffed it. Like, okay, we'll just pick up and go over there by their <laughs> shot, which happens a lot. Right, like, we're, right. we're not good enough to, to hit good shots, right? And I was, I was on, I think, on like third or fourth tee where I, I got back into my old habits of hitting my driver six inches in front of the tee, driving it down into the ground, then it dribbles up by the women's tees. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've been working really hard on hitting my driver because for years I never would. Because I wasn't scoring well because I was doing that shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I don't care about hitting at 300 plus yards, which I easily can. I'm, I'm plenty physically capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. I just want to be able to put it out 260, 270 yards into the fairway so it's playable into the green. Yeah. That's all that I care about at this point in my life. And I'm not good enough to realize or good enough to, to dedicate the time into yeah. putting in to hit that 350-yard shot every time. I'm... I'm, I'm capable of it. And put it where you want to. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. willing to dedicate eight hours a day of practice to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I can't justify that. But it was about the third or fourth tee. I'm like, fuck this. I got to put the driver away and I get my four iron off the tee because I can't hit this goddamn club today. I got to do a lot more work outside here on the range before I can pull this back out on the, on the course, right? And it was that frustrating part of it, like, fuck, like I've been trying to put in this time and work on this, even though it's just once a week for me. It's it's all I can dedicate to it because I've yeah. got a bunch of other stuff going on. But it's like all this work that I've put into it, I fell very short of what I wanted, which is just a playable drive. I don't care if it's left or right of the fairway. I don't care. It just needs to not be two fairways over, which is the old, <laughs> the old problem with the big old slice of roux that I got. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's like it was so frustrating because it's like, why don't I fucking play this sport? And I got, I got, <coughs> excuse me. I got so pissed off that I was like, I want to be better. Why can't I just be out here to have fun? And that that's the part that I personally struggle with. Because it's like, why am I oh, not okay. why am I not playing up to my potential? At that point it wasn't as fun as it probably should have been. Hang out with my buddies, drinking a beer, smoking a cigar, out on the course, took the day off of work. Like we were just we were having a good time. Like I could have been working. Like fuck that, we were playing golf. Yeah. Like I should have been super happy. But I wasn't because I was frustrated with my play. You were focused on the four iron versus the driver. Well, no, I, ha- I had to. It. I had to pull out the four iron because no, I, I know couldn't I was... hit my driver, and right. then I hooked the shit out of that thing all day too. But but focusing on like that right there versus the experience of what you're having. Yeah, I should have just yeah. been having fun, but I wasn't because I wasn't playing well. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough spot because I 
always had these like insane expectations for myself whenever I would do something growing up and like even into like college and post-college where it's like, well, it looks easy, so it should be easy. Yes. And I'm Other people make it, well. it look easy. Right. So why am I having such a hard time? Like, this is bullshit. I'm like, I'd be all grumpy out on the golf course. Like, this is, I remember this one point where I was like, I don't really want to be in a bad mood. How do I not do that? Oh, just, you should probably not care about how yeah. this goes. Change your mind frame. Right. And for some reason, it was just like, oh, okay. You know, you're not any better at golf when you do that, right? I was like, yeah, that's okay. It's fine. Like, we can figure out how to get better in the future. Uh, I don't know that I ever really did learn how to get better. You know, I've had phases where I put more time into it and it seemed to work out well. And I'd say last summer, I was probably putting in the most time trying to figure out golf swings and, and I had a new set of clubs and learn how to use those. But that idea of just losing any joy out of it because you're not doing as well. Like that's, that's familiar. Yeah. I got you on that one. And despite everything else that should be telling you that you should, you know, relax and have a good time. You're with your buddies. Yeah. You know, taking a day off work, beautiful day, doing a fun thing. Like even if you shank it, you should be like, yeah, fuck it. Go over here and get my ball. Try to find it in the weeds somewhere. But I played a four-person scramble last summer. And I don't know if I told you this one. Cause I, know I don't we think, talk I think about so. Golf. So I was working my ass off at the driving range. Because I had just gotten this new set of clubs. And like I wanted to show up and do well. Because the last time that I played the scramble a couple years prior, I did not. Uh, and not even like I did as well as I can. And it wasn't that good. Is like even the low level that I am at, I was under that. So I wanted to show up and do better. And I show up on the day up, and it just was fucking awful. It's just terrible. I had one good hole. Uh, it was on the second one. It was a par five, and we used my first and second shot. So the first hole doesn't go too well. It's this like short par three, and the par three to start off that sucks. Yeah, we get warmed up for the par threes. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, my hand did really well on that one, so it just kind of like spared all of us. But because I was playing with my aunt, uncle, and then my dad and me. And the second one, I drive really well. I hit my second shot really well. I'm like, yes, it worked. All that work, like it paid off. I know how to hit this. This is wonderful. It felt smooth. It felt right. It felt natural. And we get to the third one, and I tee off, and it just shanks like to the left. Yeah. It didn't even make it to the latest tee. It just like boom, right into the woods. No, I get that. And it just stayed there for the rest of the day. Like, I couldn't hit the ball to save my life. It, it was like I had never swung a club before. And the whole time, I'm just like, I could be mad about this. Uh, I could try to laugh this off. And I thought, I was like, I don't, f there's no joy. I can't even find a way to laugh at myself right now. Yeah. And that's something that I struggle with as well. I don't know if it's my ego. Yeah. Or if it's just my own, like, misconceptions or just being self-deceived i'm not sure i was but that's something that i'm really struggling with and trying to get past but i'm not doing a very good job <laughs> I, I was so unbelievably disappointed in myself in that moment because it's like you worked so hard what the hell happened like e even if it wasn't an amazing round like could i just have a couple of shots yeah for redemption like what was all that for if not to like do a little bit better than this like you're doing worse now than you did last year when you didn't put any time into it. What yeah. happened? So, I mean, that was very frustrating. I managed to not get pissed uh, like during it because I 
I told myself, I was like, I'm not going to ruin their days by me having just like this sour attitude with it. Like I definitely had my head down. I was like, oh God, that sucks. <laughs> and my dad felt bad for me with it. And he's like, oh, come on, cheer up. We still got seven more holes. I was like, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> but no, I get you. It's just like, t- like sucking the joy right out of it when you're not doing well. Yeah. And it's like, I, I realized that I'm never going to be as good as Bryson DeChambeau or any other yeah. kind of pro golfer. I get it. You know, like, like I would love to be a bogey golfer. I'm not even, I don't think I'll ever get to scratch. I'm not going to put enough time and energy to be there. I get it. But mm-hmm. it's like I expect to be playing at least somewhat decent and not just like a total shit show. And the it's, fact that I put so much work into like hitting the drive, that's been my biggest downfall. I mean, my iron's well for a long time. Like wedge play is okay. Putting's okay. Mm-hmm. But they're not good because I don't put enough time because that's all just feel. Yeah. You got to get so much reps in. But it's like that drive is like the big thing that could revolutionize my scoring because I could put myself in better positions off the tee instead of hitting long irons into greens. I could be hitting short irons, which I can actually control and hit a lot better. But it's just when it was, I went back to my, my old habits where I wasn't even making good contact with the balls, driving in the ground. That it was just dribbling up. I was just, I was so frustrated. I was like, I was like, shit. Like I thought I'd been put so much time and energy into this. Like to put things in perspective, it was like, I was, I've been working on my, my game, for probably three years now with my buddy Andrew. He's obviously a great uh, person on the show, which you guys lo- know and love. And he's really good at golf, and he's been trying to work with me. And we've been working on that. And then last year when I was laid off, I didn't play at all because it was off in the summer. didn't have the money. I was like, I, yeah. I can't afford to do this this year. So I put it all behind me. So this year, now I'm back working again. Like I wanted to get back out and start working on stuff. And uh, I put a lot of time and energy into the drive. The drive is what's important to me right now because that's going to revolutionize my game. I was playing with another friend of mine who is really good at golf. Um, I'm pretty sure he's scratched. He might be a little under scratch. I think he played on tour for a year. I mean, he's fucking really good. Went to, went to school for like golf course management, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like everyone calls him to play scrambles because he can like carry the whole team. Like he's that good. Okay. And uh, he and I were out hitting. And I told him, it's like, I don't expect to be perfect. It's like, But I'd love to be like, Eight out of ten just have like a workable drive. I don't care if it's right or left of the fairway. I don't care, but just playable. Yeah. You know, and he's like, dude, you're not good enough for that. And I was like, ooh. He's like, pros don't do that. He's, wow. like, he's like, you should be looking at five or six. Okay. He's like, that's all that's realistic for you out of ten. I'm sorry. When you play once a week or hit the range once a week, it's like you can't expect more than five or six. And that really helped put things in perspective. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. So I should expect to have a shank or hit it into the ground or do whatever every once in a while. I get it. But when I start to do it every time, it's like, fuck, like, okay, need more work. I get it. I'm doing something wrong. What I should have done was taken some video so I could yeah. see myself and what I was doing because I don't know what I was doing wrong. I think I'm shifting my hips. I, that's irrelevant. We'll talk about that after the podcast. But it's like, but having a friend of mine who's really good and very accomplished in that. Yeah who still has aspirations of playing as a master someday when his kid's a little bit older and he can afford to travel and do that kind of stuff more. Um, he's like, dude, like you are not good enough to hit it eight out of 10 times. You're just not like, you should be focused on five, maybe six. I wouldn't have thought that. I, yeah. It was, it was a kick in the dick when he said it, but now that I've had time to process it and think yeah. about it, it was like, you know what? You're right. Like I am too hard on myself. Like I expect me to play, bogey golf every time i go out like that's to be my goal like i'm i'm aspiring aspirating aspiring to play to that level like Mm -hmm. that's the the most time out because again i'm not going to put eight hours a day into practicing right because like oh there was he was getting ready for a uh uh 
a scramble, a four-man scramble, and he was out every single day at the golf course. And I, I would go meet him at lunch, take like a long lunch, and go out there and chip and putt. And that's what we were doing. Then he might hit a bucket of balls maybe twice that week, but every day he was out there working on his game. He's like, this is where you score. Like, if I can't get up and down a short game, I'm not going to yeah. score well. It's like, this is this is how you get better. And I'm like, how much time and energy do you put into this? And he's like, in the beginning of the season, a bunch. And after that, I try to play more because that's where I'm going to get like more of the, the feeling from. Because when you're on the range, everything's flat and even yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it's easy to get decent. When you're on the course, when your lies are always different and thick grass and ups and downs with hills and everything else, it, it's very, very different. So it was, it was very interesting to see his kind of work ethic there. And, and it was funny because he was actually playing on the range with his old clubs. Hmm. He's like, I don't want to wear out my new clubs. Because he's like, I'll go through like a set of irons and, a, and a, especially like his wedge every year because oh, wow. he'll hit it so much. He'll wear them down. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, I'm not even coming close to that shit. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So it was like, it kind of put things in perspective, you know, cause he was out there yeah. every day hitting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of balls with a 60 degree. He's like, I don't have time to practice them all. So I'm just practicing this one. Okay. Yeah, that does. Put it was, it was, it was interesting, but like, but again, there's a person who's played on that high level. And he was probably, like, barely making it on tour, let alone, like, cashing and doing that kind of stuff. Get the fuck out of here. Making the cut and doing all those kind of things. But it's, like, again, there's levels to these things right. is what I'm trying to say. And it's, like, I was expecting way too much of myself and not realizing that, hey, you're really down here. Are you motivated by success to the extent – I was wondering this when you were saying before. Let, let's say that you put in two hours of work a week. For golf. Yep. And it works out just like perfect correlation. You're like, okay, look at this. I'm doing great. I'm doing better, right? Would you then say, I should probably do three? No, because I I don't have the time to dedicate to that. So that is your cutoff? Well, to me, it's like like I I want to go out and I want to play and I want to be better. And I I know that me personally, I need to work on my game. I don't want to just go out and play a bunch. Like I'd rather get better so I can – be better on the course, which will make things more fun, which will make me want to play more. So play more as opposed to practice more. I mean, ideally that would be the goal, but okay. I know to get there I need to practice more because I'm at the stage now where it's like I'm willing to change my swing. I'm willing to to do what I need to do to fix things to yeah. get better. I don't want to just go out there and play my massive slice and aim a fairway and a half over to the left and know I'm going to slice it back into, oh, into my own. I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's too familiar. I want to actually <laughs> – fix my game yeah to, to again i don't expect to be perfect to hit the fairway eight out of ten times i'm not that good i just want to be playable as long as i can do that i think i'll be happy and again my goal would be like bogey golf if i was a bogey golfer i'd be happy yeah like every, a par every once in a while i'll be super stoked mm-hmm. birdie is like an eagle a game on like yeah i don't expect to get many of those victory yes but yeah i, I so I, I does that answer your question yeah it does yeah it so does. i don't see myself like seeing some results and I'm wanting to put more and more and more time into it. Like I don't have the time. Okay. But I still want to go out and enjoy it. But it's also something I can do that's difficult. It's challenging, but it's also something I can do long term. Oh yeah. It's not something that I don't think I'll have to stop in five or ten years so they won't physically be able to do it anymore. Golf is a very confusing sport. Yes. In that I've played since I was in seventh grade. Well, you know, gone out to play i don't know if i can really use that word um i've hit balls yes and i have gotten better over the years 
but it's completely unproportional to the amount of time that you spend actually hitting. When you think like, so that would be, I was like 12, 13, so 22, 23 years of doing the sport. I have done no other sport or activity in my life as long as that. For 23 years, I should be way better than I am, even just from learning from mistakes. But no, it's like it's the one like loophole of activities where it doesn't matter how long you do it. If you haven't put practice into it, it's like you keep showing up and being just as terrible as you were the time beforehand. Um, Anything else, if you had somebody teaching you, you're doing it. That feedback should fix things. Yeah, but it's also not a game you can master. It's a game that is so so challenging that even the pros, (laughs) excuse me, are like. Are, have really bad shots from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like I always tell people, it's like it's a game of millimeters. It's not a game of inches like a lot of other games. It's a game of millimeters. And if you're off just a little bit, oh, yeah. you're going to be way off. And if your swing gets into a funk, you're done. Like I watch a lot of like YouTube golfers. Andrew got me into these guys. Uh, Good Good Golf and GM Golf and Michael Morris Golf and Grant Horvat and Matt Chart and Stephen Castaneda and all these guys. I watch a lot of them. And most of them, are like scratch golfers and they're YouTubers and this is their job. Like they go out and make golf content. Most of, most of it's fun. Sometimes they do crazy stuff, mm-hmm. but a lot of them is just, it's just golf. And it's like, these guys are like spraying them all over the place. Like they're scratch golfers. They play every day. Like this is their job. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't expect to be that good. I put in a couple hours a week, maybe play yeah. once a month. You know, like I can't ex- like in the summertime, granted, I would love to get like an actual golf simulator, I think that'd be like oh, super man. cool to have where I can actually like play every day Yeah, like come home, hit a couple of balls, like, you know, whatever it be like 50, 60, 70 ball. Like you would, you could get so much better so quickly just putting in that oh, much yeah. time and repetition, but more importantly is doing it more often. That's what's important. It's just that, that muscle memory, that repetition. How much are simulators? Uh, to get, I know you've looked into it. Oh yeah. <laughs> you can go anywhere from like, like a uh, two grand up to like 20 grand. Okay. Depending on what you want to get for your house, um, realistically, you're going to spend somewhere between five and seven for something that's decent enough to be happy with it. You can okay. get something cheaper to just hit, but if you want to actually get like data, ball f- flights and spins and speeds and into out ratios with your clubs and those kind of like actual data, you're going to have to spend three to five grand at least on a uh, on an actual golf monitor mm-hmm. or what do they call it, a, a launch monitor. Um, but you can go all the way up to a TrackMan, which is what the professionals use, or a GC Quad. GC Quad's like ten or twelve grand. Uh, TrackMan, I think, is like twenty grand. Okay. Um, but you can, uh, for an average home player, you can go with probably two to three grand on a launch monitor. You can get one for like five hundred bucks. But like anything else, you get what you pay for. Yeah. You won't get the data and stuff that you want. How much space do you need for that? Uh, probably like a twenty by eighteen room. With my height, probably 12-foot ceilings, Okay, which is the issue if I want to be able to swing driver indoors. Um, a lot of people can swing irons indoors, um, but with like nine-foot tall ceilings. But okay. with my height, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I need I need more, more height and more space if I wanted to do that. But okay. I hate to say it, I've literally looked at new houses to get like like a bigger great room like a living room so mm-hmm. I can put in a golf monitor. I'll be real honest. <laughs> if you fit in your garage, is that enough space? Is it may enough? be enough space, but it may not be high enough. Okay. For me. 
For an average person, yes. A lot of them put okay. it in their garages. So renovate the garage <laughs> <laughs> for the sole purpose of a golf simulator. That has crossed my mind, which is sad to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but that'd be something like long term would be cool to have. Because mm-hmm. first of all, like I'm a bachelor. And it's I like to entertain. I have guys over for poker. I want I'm like building a whiskey room in my yeah. basement to hang out and do that kind of stuff. So it's like it'd be cool to have something like that to have the boyos come over. Oh and yeah, hit some golf balls and do that kind of stuff. Because I would instantly be one of the most popular people in my group of friends because they'd all want oh, to come God, over yeah. and use it. I mean, if you had a room that you could play, especially in the winter time, yeah. Oh man, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, Friday night's golf night. Come on over, boys. Let's go. That'd be awesome. Yes, yes, it would. But it's also lots of money. <laughs> well, if you get it, let me know. We'll do. You're going to be an investor in this? <laughs> if you need me to be. <laughs> we'll that, have to talk that, about contracts. That, that and... was a no, ladies and gentlemen. That was a no. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm getting out of this? and But yeah. No, that's awesome. Now I'm thinking about putting, I like started picturing like, well, you could do that at the gym. Got that loft space upstairs. You just put a simulator up there. Oh, yeah. It's not a terrible idea. I don't know how much I'm trying to turn that currently in like a recovery area. I'm not sure how that fits with recovery, but you could call it like a form of like sports therapy. <laughs> this is my golf meditation room. <laughs> yeah. You could definitely do that for a few grand. A few grand. Just a few. We could, well, the good thing about that is you can you could start a little bit smaller and then add to it as you need to. Okay. You know, but the biggest thing you need is like a good hitting mat. You need a really good one. Spend the money there. And then, like, the launch monitor, which is important. And then, after that, you need, like, a big mat, you know, or surface area to catch it. You know, then a projector to project onto the screen. Mm -hmm. You know, you could do it with a net and then just do, like, on a TV. But spend the money on a projector. I think it's worth it. Because you can get, like, DIY, put it together yourself, you know, uh, screens with, like, to catch everything and do the... Do all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. I think that'd be worth it instead of just getting like a, a net to hit into. But if you're going to do it, do it right. Well, not necessarily that, but I, you don't need to spend 20 grand on a, like a track man setup. Is right. what I'm saying. But you, you could do that really well for like, you know, five grand. Okay. Is what I'm saying. See, but, it's, but it's still like that money that you got to put into it. This is dangerous because now you're putting it into like realistic terms and it's like, well, yeah, I could, I don't have to totally dismiss this. I could think about actually putting it up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a doable thing, especially like at the gym, like where you're at, is you could sell, you know, like memberships to that, or you know, like you could rent out like an hour or two or whatever, mm-hmm. and have people come in in the winter time and do that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I was thinking I'd go on the route of that being uh, something for people to come in for like uh, sports therapy or like golf therapy, where it's like, do you have an issue that's going on? Come get worked on, and then take over the simulator. And it's like, are you moving better? Are you hitting better? Are you just hitting? You know, more well, yeah, pain-free. But, but that's not going to pay for it in a business sense. No, it'd just be one of the options that come with it. Yeah. Paying for it? Absolutely. Like yeah. You can rent out time that goes along with that's it. That's exactly what you'd have to do is rent out time for it. But that feedback idea of getting, I mean, especially with that, I mean, because it tells you what, ball speed, it tells you how far you're hitting, it tells you, you know, trajectory, where it's going, all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. If you have somebody who is hurting or just not moving well, and you can show them hard data on, look, you're hitting better contact or you have more ball speed or you're more precise now that like we've done these exercises or we've done the soft tissue work. That's way better than saying like, hey, put a barbell on your back and like did that squat feel better? Yeah. Which is very subjective. And that's valuable. Yeah, because you don't need the actual numbers and data right. to you. You put yeah. that hard data in front of somebody and they're like, oh, shit. Like 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it felt better, but that's how much better. Like right there in front of you. That mm-hmm. that makes me excited. Yeah. On something like that. I wonder if I, hmm, now I got thinking about that. I've looked into this a lot, so let's let's talk. Okay. <laughs> Outside of here. Sounds good. <laughs> we can do that. All right. Well, we've been rambling on for quite long enough. Let's wrap this bitch up. Do uh, you have any closing thoughts, sir? I don't think I do for once. I wrote down a couple of questions when we started talking about the competition uh, section. Did we cover your questions? We did. Okay. Because, I mean, the one was like, what does it look like? Or what do you look to get out of competing? And you mentioned that one. And like, is it world-class in what you love to do or just world-class in anything? But like the last one that I really wanted to ask and we got to it, like, is like, what happens if you don't compete? And what does that look like if you don't find something? And we covered that part coming into it. So, yeah, like those were the big ones I wanted to, and we did all of them. So, yeah, I'm good. Okay. For the first time in four, five podcasts? Something like that. Something I, don't like that. I don't know exactly. I don't have follow-up questions. <laughs> I don't have follow-up questions. Any closing yeah, thoughts closing or ideas? Thoughts? Or? I don't know. I just I always enjoy these. I feel like it gets better and better every time. I agree. Because I think we're getting better, which is fun. And then our conversations are always a blast anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm telling you, like, we see this more often. Like, if you want to do it once a month, I'm down. If okay. we want to do it every other month, cool. Like, game on. Let's do this thing. Because, like, so I love sitting down. We can always bring – got two more mics. Yep. So, so, we can bring on some more people. We can always do that, too. So, that's always fun. Because the last um, couple have been – the number of people that I've referred the last two episodes to, because it has come up in conversation, which, I mean, this, here's a good closing thought, actually. Um and those were like the contemplating our existence and then the energy, the energy follow aspect. up with that. Yeah. I have found that conversation, here's the weird thing, popping up more and more where it never did before. It, I don't know what happened that it like got sent out there to the universe, but that conversation has happened multiple times since we've done those two That's episodes. Great. And I've been able to just refer people back to those. It's like, here are these two great conversations. Like you should go listen to these. Those were some of the, I mean, especially the first one, like yeah. the contemplating our existence. Those was like one of the best ones. I got the most comments on, like from friends who were listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of their favorites. I mean, it was just, it was great. And yeah. I know that Todd and Andrew as well mm-hmm. were like, dude, that especially Andrew was like, that was not what I expected. And Todd was like, that was one of the best ones we've ever had. I'm like, I know, like this is. This is the fun stuff that we like to talk about. And like, this is just a different person to talk about it with. And you're yeah. so thoughtful. Like it, it made it, it was, it was great. Like I loved it. So and I know a lot of other people did as well. So that was great. Um, so tell people, cause you have your own podcast. Tell I people do. where they can find that. And then obviously if they want to get worked on, uh, that you have your business as well, they can come and see you if they're in the area. Just go ahead and plug those. Uh, the podcast is prepare to win. It's on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud. That's with uh, Justin Oliver, the owner of Unrivaled Strength over in North Canton. Is that your business partner? Right? Yep. And then my business is Elite Sport Recovery, or currently Elite Recovery Sports Massage, but working on the transition for, to LLC. For, we'll, we'll tell you what that is when it yeah. comes out. So we'll, we'll spoil it. we're not going to spoil it now. We'll, we'll tell you later when we get some actual change. But uh, you can find me on Instagram at Elite underscore Recovery underscore LMT or on Facebook. If anybody has questions about getting worked on or what, services we offer uh, by all means you can call you can email you can send me a message on social media and generally speaking like who do you work with the most and who would benefit the most from coming to see you uh largely i work with athletes um but it's mostly hobbyists uh so folks who are you know dedicated to weightlifting to powerlifting where they compete 
Uh, they take it very seriously, but they're not in any way like a professional athlete. Um, but the individuals who I've been working more with, I think it's more so the time of year, have been the like 13 to 17 year old high school athletes uh, or like middle school, high school athletes. And that has been really rewarding because it's been a lot of injury prevention before these serious injuries uh, could start to happen, which I've watched happen in previous athletes of, of that age who didn't. Um, so that's been a kind of a transition in the clientele who are coming in that I've really enjoyed getting the chance to work with. But the other folks that would really benefit from this, um, if you have never had a massage, like you owe it to yourself. Um, if you are working out more than twice a week and it is in any way rigorous, you should have someone working on you as you're going into it. Um, if you only see a chiropractor, you should have some soft tissue. It's amazing how well those two things complement one another. Yes. Like it is a night and day difference. Like it's a huge difference just to get my massage or just chiropractic, but those two things together, like synergistically, it. Yeah, I didn't realize how important it was until a few years ago. Yeah. When I was starting to work with Shana Avard, uh, she was working on my hip, and then you and I started working together. Mm-hmm. And like I've been working with you ever since. And it's like with all the injury prevention, and then obviously with all the injuries that I've had between you and my chiropractor, it's like. You, you guys, you get me healed up faster. We get me back into, into what I'm doing quicker, you know, and like I'm, I feel like I'm better off afterwards. Like we just came off of the MCL tear. Mm-hmm. Before that, we were working on like the, the Achilles tendonitis that I've had. We've worked on other like elbow tendonitis and other issues I've had for years and I've always just dealt with and like how much you've helped with that is, is ridiculous. And I didn't realize how important it was to work with somebody like you doing the mm-hmm. manual, uh, uh, what do they call it? Reconfiguration or whatever it is, like, like uh, soft soft tissue work is, oh. is. It was so yeah. damn important. So it's it's well, it's really you. good for anybody out there who's athletic or who's living life. If you're living life, come see Dane. <laughs> if you are alive, yeah, he might be able to help you live it better. <laughs> the oldest client I've had so far has been eighty two, I think, eighty two or so. Uh, he came in. He says, "Well, you know, I've been walking three miles a day, and my hips bothering me." And I was like. I'm willing to try to help you. And lo and behold, it, he's doing great. So there's nobody that is too old. If you're active, you know, whatever form that looks like, then yeah. I'm and, willing and, to help out. And to an 82-year-old, walking three miles is incredibly active. Yeah. That's that's like a marathon runner in their 20s. Like that's I mean, not his day, activities of daily living either. Like no. he does all normal life. He's like, every morning I go out and I walk at least three yeah. miles. And that's that's what he can still do. And that's Good great. I've yeah. been on my dad to start walking. I'm like, you got to get moving. Because mm-hmm. he retired. Now he's sitting on the couch watching TV. I'm like, yeah, stop that. Get, get your ass out. Keep moving. Let's go. So get you active. Hopefully we'll get him there. He's not there yet. Hopefully we'll get there. All right, sir. Well, this is great. Again, we'll do this again soon. This is always a blast. And uh, we will see you guys next time. That was fun. That was always fun. Definitely a blast. All right. Well, that wraps up another fun episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that one as much as I know that we did. Uh, some of these can be very tiring. I know t- <laughs> I know Dane is usually pretty worn out after we do these episodes because there, there's a lot of thinking going involved. And there's a lot of things that are there to, to focus on and everything else. And, and I know that we, we sat here after after we recorded this one and kind of had to chill out for a little bit because we were both like, wow, my brain hurts. <laughs> that was a lot of talking. Holy crap. <laughs> it's, it's always funny that we think, oh, we're just going to 
you know, do a short episode. We don't have too much to talk about. What are we going to do? And oh my goodness, and here we, here we are, you know, over two and a half hours later. <laughs> Whoopsies. We did it again, but that seems to be what we do on the show. But nonetheless, we will have Dane back on the show very soon. I definitely enjoy our conversations, and hopefully you guys are enjoying them as well. And if you are, uh, now you can let us know. You can go to uncensoredhumanity.com and fill out the Contact Us form. Or you can send us an email at uncensoredhumanitypodcast at gmail.com. And both of those will land in the inbox. And you can let us know what you're thinking of the episodes or if you have any ideas for future episodes. Or if you just want to say that you guys are super awesome and we love you. That's fine too. <laughs> and then please, wherever you're listening to this, go out and leave us a five-star review. That is the biggest thing we can do to support the show right now other than talking about it with your friends, sharing it on social media, doing all those kind of things. Uh, watching this grow over the last few months has been very cool. And I'm excited to see where we're going to go in the next couple of years but that is all we have time for this week so we will see you guys next time on uncensored humanity <laughs>